Hey, Fred, give me a pizza with extra cheese. Extra cheese. And hold the tomato sauce. Hold the tomato sauce. And hold the crust. Hold the crust. Hey, Jimmy, give me a cheese with nothing. Nothing? Now you can have the best part of the pizza without the pizza. Polio string cheese, all natural, individually wrapped cheese snacks. Is this what you want? Bellissimo. Magnifique. C'est bon. Try Polio string cheese. It's the best part of the pizza. Time for some sleepover magic. <laughs> Konnichiwa, Blake. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. I have to say. Um, then just say it. That, you know, when we did the Lost Boys. Mm. The fucking Lost Boys. When we did the fucking, motherfucking Lost Boys. I said that there were certain movies that, like, I've always wanted to do on the show. Yeah, well, we did when we started the show you said you had a list i had a list and karate kid was on it yeah and uh tonight on saturday night movie sleepovers <laughs> tonight on saturday night movie sleepovers starring dion by and jay blake and now live from studio city <laughs> california dion by and jay blake so i'm excited because i fucking love this movie this is such a jay blake movie that i don't know <laughs> what jay blake it is basically it's it's uh we can get into this later, but it's kind of like a like a like a young kid's Rocky. It's a mini Rocky, you know. Yeah. And I noticed right off the bat, uh, we did um, Escape from New York at the beginning of the year, and I don't think I'm the only one who can say like there are some people who think that like Kurt Russ kind of like channeled Eastwood uh-huh. in his performance for Snake Plissken. Here it's like Macchio is like like uh, like channeling a little Sly Stallone, <laughs> a little Stallone. And I think Stallone could have perfectly played this role uh, 15 <laughs> to 20 years before, you know, when he was the age. Yeah, yeah. Well, Good there are a lot of little touches. And it's the same, you know, it's the same it's director, creative team. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh yeah, so I mean this kind of we did this with Hey, we're out of the 87 uh, freaking, was, you know, we're in the fandom zone of 87 for years. I you was going to make a joke that like, we're back in 87. And then you were going to correct me. And I was like, Don't. damn it. Yeah. Um, because of the Who Framed Roger Rabbit debacle. Yeah. Or we thought it was 80. We, I thought it was 87 <laughs> and then it's actually 88, but I still saying it's 87. I feel like, uh, was it Lost Boys when we were, there was some show or maybe it was. The last one we did. There was one episode where we were talking about like how everybody's been on the show before. Oh, that was uh, Predator. Predator, yeah. Yeah, from last week. Because there's a little bit of that here, too. And I yeah. don't know how much research you did, but do you remember? Well, of course, John G. Abelson directed Rocky, which Correct. we covered. Yeah. Conti. Uh, Bill Conti did the music for this and also for Rocky. Did he also do the music for um, uh, uh, Over the Top? I don't think think so okay. i thought he was i thought he had another association he, he with might have show. been he might be something else in the show but i don't think it's over the top but uh i don't know how much you've researched but do you know uh what a robert mark Kamen, the the writer his previous appearances uh <laughs> on saturday night movie sleepovers no but i feel like i do <laughs> he wrote and co-produced our inaugural episode of The Punisher. He did The Punisher, the first uh, 
yeah. directed by Jeff Goldblum, Mark Goldblatt. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great departure. Yeah, it was really. Uh, and he also uh, co-wrote The Fifth Element. Oh, wow. Hassan. And that we did that this year. That we did this year. He also co-wrote Taken, which was one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And did you remember the movie Gladiator from 1992? Not the... Russell Crowe yes. movie, but the one about like bo- like underground boxing. Yes, yes, and uh, I forget who's in that. There's somebody like real Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in it, and I the guy who plays the main guy was on Twin Peaks, but I don't know his first. I don't know his name. But isn't there somebody training him? Or it's not like I'm thinking. Maybe I'm getting mixed. Up. There's the, a Ving Rhames movie where they're in jail. It might be. Uh, I get confused with another boxing movie at the time. It might. Uh, Brian Dennehy might be in it. Yeah, okay. He might be like the ba- kind of like the villain. Yeah, we love Brian Dennehy. Uh, so, uh, and of course, Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. This who, is our second Elizabeth Shue movie, which yeah. we did Adventures in Babysitting earlier this year. 87. <laughs> All right, kicking off. <laughs> I, that might have kicked off 87. <laughs> you know, either that right or Dream Warrior. Right the time, R- Dream Warrior's oh, no, Master Masters Universe was the Which Bill Conti did the music for. There you go. That, that's the Bill Conti connection. The, the Bill Conti connection! <laughs> I got to change the name of the show. Yeah, Bill the Conti Bill Conti connection. connection. <laughs> it's like some political show all of a sudden. The Bill Conti connection. Uh, but yeah, this is very much, there's a lot of uh, shades of Rocky in this movie for sure. Um you have uh, little little Ralphie Macchio. Yep. Playing Daniel LaRusso, originally named Daniel Weber in the, in the original script. But uh, Macchio doesn't look like a Weber. So they, just, they, they change him to a... Change it to more of well, Italian. They made it, it's good making it a little ethnic because he has that ethnic flair. His mom, not so much. But then yeah, yeah. It's, you kind of feel like, yeah, they're from Newark. It's like, you so, know... Uh, and he was 22 at the time. And he looks like, you know, he looks like he's 15. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, there's. You're right. I mean, of course, there's um, like a father trainer figure, which yeah. is very rocky. Like very similar relationship between Miyagi and Daniel and Rocky and Mick, uh, and also like Daniel talks to himself in a way that Rocky does a lot in the first movie. Yeah, you know when he's <clears throat> telling jokes to the to the turtles and. Uh, well, he has like, kind of. There's like an external monologue that's happening for Rocky that happens a little bit, especially like in the restaurant scene where he's like, oh, you know, she's really pretty. He's talking about Elizabeth Shue after his mom leaves. Yeah, yeah. The table. Well, he's got a very much like a a philosophy according to Sly, where it's he's even making the same kind of Rocky Balboa type decisions in situations and scenes. Like, you know, what's the goal of the scene? It'd be like, you know, well, Rocky would. Uh, <laughs> You know, try to stay away from the fight, and you're, you know, and get pissed off, and then you know, yeah, lash yeah. out, and it's like you kind of yeah. you get. A I wonder bit. how much of that is this <clears throat> original is the script, and how much of it is Abelson. Um, which we should say, Abelson sadly passed away a few months ago. Oh, um, he was a director that I honestly like never thought that much about, like on a conscious level, you know, like in front, you know, he's never one of my favorite directors, but. It was like when he died, it wasn't like I read like all the movies he directed and was like, oh, but like I always knew he directed these movies, but it wasn't until he died that I appreciated the fact that he had such a profound, his movies had such a profound impact on me. Rocky, obviously, it's my, like my favorite movie. I love this movie. Lean On Me was a huge movie for me and my friends when we were in high school or junior high. Um Power of One is a movie that I always look back on fondly Great with Stephen Dorff yeah. and uh, and Morgan Freeman. 
Um, so he just he has a number of movies that were just like really important to yeah. me. <laughs> so and he's uh, good at a sports movie. I mean, this kind of I don't know if you can classify this as a sports movie, but sure, if, yeah. if we're classifying uh, over the top some months ago as a sports movie, this could be kind of oh uh, yeah, it's definitely you know, a sports movie. I mean, it's a tournament, yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's funny because it wasn't like he was known for that. And he almost didn't direct Rocky because he didn't want to direct a boxing movie. Yeah. Um, but it was when he read the script and the first fucking scene, you know, ten pages into the script or five pages in the script, you got this guy, t- you know, telling a joke to some turtle. <laughs> and he was like, this is not just a boxing movie. This is like a, like a very interesting character study about these people. Uh, so he decided to direct Rocky. And then he came back for Rocky V. Um, and there's a lot of stuff about that i just recently did an entire rocky series episode of wrong rail with james hancock uh where i talk a lot about kind of what went wrong with rocky five so if you want to hear that stuff (laughs) go check out my rocky series uh well what's your first um exposure to this is 1984 1984 i think i saw this at the movies wow which i would have been pretty young I think I saw this at the movies. I definitely saw two at the movies. I remember that. I like, saw two at the movies as well. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I think that's the last time I've seen two all the way through, because I remember, uh, you know, the whole uh, ice bit at the beginning. Yeah, well, uh, that's not at the beginning. But. Oh, I thought I thought he sees it. It's not the big. See, that's how I thought he sees it at the beginning, and then he wants to build up to it, and then at the end of the movie they come back. I don't. It's been so long since you I know, watched. I thought two. it was like it bookends the movie where he sees somebody doing it, and it's like a challenge, and then he. At he, the end, he's able to. I, th- I, I think it's just that he does it like in the middle. Of well, that's how town. I'm gonna remember. <laughs> that's how you, <laughs> you know, I remember things all weird. Then, of course, the whole hurricane scene, yeah, and then yeah. helping remember their their adversaries. They're having the rivalry, and then the son. And I mean, it was it was it's well. You you finish your because I got a, a funny Karate Kid memory. Not you know, you know, it's just uh, I don't think. Unfortunately, I don't think you'd be able to find. I don't think I'd be able to get a picture of it for. Uh, a bonus on this but there's like pictures of me in like karate gi pajamas Sweet. like doing the crane kick <laughs> somewhere you know it was this movie uh it was huge i mean things like wax on and wax off are like stuck in like the american lexicon of, yeah you know like terminology like everybody knows this stuff um it's funny how that kicked off because i've forgotten about that you know, and and then it's funny how things drop off. Like you know, make my day was big in the early '80s or the whole '80s, and yeah, then wax yeah. on, wax off. I'll be back. You know, all these things who now young kids may not think about anymore because they're not said as much. Yeah, but yeah. you know, all these wax on, wax off that became a joke. But or, I, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm all you know. I was I was on the train. I was all about you know this. You know, things in in the '80s that were big. Okay, you got robots, of course. Fucking ninjas. Ninjas are big. Ninjas were big in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had a ton of like canon ninja movies. Yeah. American Ninja. American Ninja. Revenge of the Ninja. Chuck um, Norris fighting ninjas. Canon almost like single handedly popularized yeah. ninjas for the 80s. Yeah, they should have they should have trademarked that shit. So hand in hand with that comes martial arts, which started to really become a popular thing in the seventies because of Bruce Lee and the Grindhouse Theaters and and stuff playing some of the kung fu movies from Hong Kong, uh, but the popularity of Bruce Lee really kind of put kung fu, the, the obviously the TV show kung fu with David Carradine, put that in kind of the foreground. Uh, everyone's kung fu fighting, 
song became a big thing, but Fast then lightning, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, you know, it continued into the eighties with the, the ninjas and you have a lot, you know, all the Chuck Norris, all the Chuck Norris yeah, movies huge. and stuff. And then in, towards the late eighties, we start to get the Van Damme movies and, and stuff like that. But, uh, so it was big and this was the martial arts movie for kids. Yeah. Uh, just like Sidekicks was in the early nineties, <laughs> you know the 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 interesting thing is if we talked a little bit about this when we did RoboCop a few weeks ago, which is like the title, you know everybody was like nobody wanted to direct the movie RoboCop because the title sounds really so, yeah, cheesy, yeah. sounded like a cheesy B schlocky uh, genre picture. And I have to say, and I didn't really think about it until this time around, and though the the name The Karate Kid <clears throat> tells you exactly what the movie is, in, in essence, it's catchy, it's, you know, it's memorable, it really doesn't do justice to the movie. Because yeah. it does make it seem like a, like a quirky, funny kids movie. But it's not. I mean, it's really like a beautifully executed drama really about this kid coming of age story yeah about this, and then this friendship that forms between this this uh you know this older man and uh this teenage kid who needs a father figure and we find out through the course of the movie that Miyaki kind of needs a son figure and we uh, we never hear there's no um is there any kind of explanation of what where the father is no you know and i think you know same with the lost boys and I think I mentioned in the when we did the Lost Boys cast that somebody was, you know, uh, maybe on Twitter was saying like, "Hey, so they're younger. They're like in their early 20s. So they're like, "What are the movies in the What are movies that like best rep in your mind best represent the 80s?" And so everybody was like naming all these movies that are great 80s movies. But I was like, to me, the 80s, and we talked about this because of the beach. <clears throat> and Lost Boys with the boardwalk and and the and the way I grew up on the summers that like Lost Boys and Karate Kid to me like when I think of the eighties that's how I remember the eighties yeah <laughs> grew up on the beach <laughs> it was like my memories of the eighties is hanging out like on a, on the Jersey Shore uh, of course that was a very small part of it but those are the most memorable moments for me kind of of the eighties and so. Uh, but hand in hand with the Lost Boys is, uh, I grew up for a big portion of my early years with a single mom, so I think in a way that I never really think about. Like I relate to maybe the Lost Boys because I had a single mom. I had an older brother that was about the same age span as Sam and Michael in the Lost Boys, and uh. You know, my grandfather was a big part of my life. I think, you know, looking back on it and, you know, kind of hindsight, I think Karate Kid kind of hits those things, too. I had a single mom, um, an older man. My grandfather was, like, very much a father figure for me growing up. So I think on some level that I never really thought about, I connect with Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> like on some kind of like emotional, like parallel of my own life in a lot of ways. And does that make you think, uh, relate to Rocky more when you discovered Rocky? Like, you know, it's like, you know, because it's kind of, they have similarities and plot Yeah, and yeah. And... Rocky, when I first, 
originally because I grew up in Philadelphia, and then when my mom did remarry, we left Philadelphia. The Rocky movies, especially the first one, because the first one is such a an ode to like Philadelphia is such a character in yeah. the first movie that Rocky became very much like a homesick. You know, it was like I would watch that to be remind me of Philadelphia being in a new place for the first time. I mean, I'd never lived anywhere else but Philadelphia. And now I'm living in upstate New York. So that's kind of Rocky. That's how my love for Rocky kind of started was like the Philadelphia connection, which was very personal to me. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, and I always loved Stallone and the Rocky movies. And we've talked about kind of my love for <laughs> my undying love for Stallone and his impact on like my movie, you know, experiences. Uh, as a young adult and, uh, and and teenager, but it wasn't until I was like th- almost 30 or 30 that like I really fucking fell in love with Rocky. Uh, and I've told that story on several podcasts, yeah. so we don't need to tell As that well as story. on the Rocky, we did the Rocky podcast. Yeah, I, that's probably when it might have first, <clears throat> that story might have first reared its head. But I even tell that story in the Teen Wolf podcast I did with Patrick from uh, F this movie because we got talking about perception of movies and, and how how you feel about a movie can change you know you might not like it or you might not like it as much and then it becomes one of your favorite movies later um, so yeah I mean they're both the other thing about both Rocky and Karate Kid is and it's something that I feel uh you know, I'm proud to have it, you know, like the the Hastings brothers, Dave, who's mentioned co- constantly on the show where I did the original Silver Bullet kind of sidecast slash untitled guest over. <laughs> and he's also the guy who we mentioned all the time that uh, since we mention him all the time, he's the guy that you went and visited when I mean, you tell the over the top story where you went down yeah, and visited so him and then you, you guys <laughs> and watched and his, it three and times. And his brother Steve is the one I yeah. watched over the top like three times in a row. Yeah, because he was at work, the other brother. But and those, Steve is the guy who does our. our, our he, wrote, you, he, he, he composed and performed the theme song to, our, to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Sleepovers. Uh, they both kind of expressed that when they think of me, like a, a, an adjective would be heart. And I, like, I kind of pride myself that I do, you know, I feel like I do have a lot of heart. Uh, it's why a movie like this, which again, you know, I'm sure Dion noticed, like, I wept like a baby when we yeah, watched Crying you did. This, this it was, and then it, got, and then it, it started to ha- happen to me as well. And I'm supposed to be the, the Pisces here, so I'm the one who's always emotional, emotional on this viewing. Um, but reason, I think another reason why I connect so much with Stallone movies, almost in general, but specifically Rocky, and then... Uh, similarly with Karate Kid, is that there's a lot of heart. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of heart in these in these two movies. Um, you know, I don't want to get too high, uh, ahead of ourselves, so I, I don't want to get into specifics yet because there's uh, certain aspects of that that I want to talk about more in detail. So I don't want to just kind of jump in now. But uh, so I connect with this uh, and underdog stories. I mean, I think everybody appreciates a good underdog story. I've always kind of, and I think everybody probably feels the same way as I do, which is like, you kind of feel like you're an underdog a lot of the time. Um, And I always had to work really hard for the shit that I wanted. And I've been very lucky to have some 
you know, be able to achieve a lot of those things. Get into a school that the school you and I went to was not easy to get into, but we managed to get in and and stuff like that. So, you know, I relate to these movies in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's why these movies are so successful and have stood the test of time and, and have aged so well despite it being so 80s for yeah <laughs> you know it's also timeless because it is a timeless story it's ta- it's about it's about characters the strong characters it's well written it's well executed the performances are great uh but at the end of the day everybody can relate to it on some level sure very few of us including myself have never tried to participate in a karate tournament <laughs> well you, you don't know what you're missing <laughs> but uh, maybe we've all felt bullied at some point in our yeah. lives or, you know, we've just wanted to prove something to ourselves that we could do something or we've worked really hard to accomplish something that we wanted to accomplish. So they're just beautiful, beautiful, like universal tales that kind of talk to all of us, I think, because we all feel like Rocky at some point. Yeah. You know, in some ways, we all feel like Danielson, and we all wish we had a Miyagi. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at least many of us do, and we all wish we had Elizabeth Shue as our girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> circa nineteen eighty four, eighty five, or eighty seven, or eighty seven. Adventures in Babysitting. Yes, Elizabeth Adventures Shue. in Babysitting. Um, I remember this movie coming out, and uh, I guess we had HBO growing up because. I had this tape, which I've talked about on the Terminator cast and on the Commando cast, where <clears throat> we had this e- SLP or EP tape yeah, yeah. that we had taped off HBO, Karate Kid, into the original Terminator, and then it was into Commando. And then what would happen is, at the end of Commando... Uh, was this the Empire Strikes yeah, Back tape? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess after Terminator, he, originally Empire Strikes Back was there, but then we taped Commando when Commando came on in 85 or 86, so that... When it when Commando ends, it kind of goes back into the older movie. It's quick for a minute. They're yeah. in Cloud City and like yeah, you know that's the dinner or the yeah that and, scene with the and Han with t- Dar- yeah. Vader's revealed yeah and Vader you know it, that's the quick bit on the tape is when the gun comes into his hand and then you know Boba Fett comes out you yeah. know that's a so, fucking hell of a tape yeah it's amazing yeah and then it ends right at you know so. Uh, it cuts right off when he's like, you know, we did it, Mr. Miyagi, we did it. <laughs> and he's got that smile, and it goes, rrr, 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 and then all of a sudden you see like, um, you know, 2019, and you see yeah, like yeah. the Skynets, you know, the, the HKs are going by, you know. So like it was very... One of us, I think it was you, somebody, I think it was you, posted something about No Escape a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And I was I had a lot of fond I have a lot of fond memories of no the escape. movie No Escape with yeah. Ray Liotta, um, and I it and brought, you're not alone. And it brought back this memory that my buddy in high school, my best friend in high school, Pete, he his dad had a similar tape, and it was the, but there's only two movies on it. It was No Escape and Lean on Me, wow. which has got oh, the, the John G. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's why it was a big movie for you that. <laughs> taping of lean on me yeah well we would it was there were just weird movies that we watched a lot yeah greece and greece 2 we talked when in greece 2 when we talked about when we did the episode on greece they're just like odd movies that uh we talk about a lot or we'd watch a lot um I, I should mention that chuck who i brought up in lost boys episode he's someone that i've reconnected with via email uh off and on and we had been 
emailing back and forth a lot in the last few weeks. And it started because of the Lean On Me uh, No Escape tape. Because oh, I wow. brought it up. I just emailed them. I said, No Escape and Lean On Me 2-pack. Awesome. <laughs> and he responded. He's like, is that a real thing? I was like, no, but you remember Pete had this tape. Um, and uh, I'm lot years ago when he first started listening to the podcast, he had emailed me and said, if we ever did Karate Kid, that he wanted to be on the show. But uh, we haven't really figured out how to do that yet. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't brought anybody over. We haven't <clears throat> figured out how to do the menage a trois yeah. podcast yet. The, uh, the three-person podcast we've had people come sleep over we had martin cove who's yeah, in this they didn't, we had, uh, we, no, they didn't come on we separately martin talked cove to got a martin cove connection yeah yeah this is our second martin cove appearance yeah and oh. we were just talking about hard time on planet earth last week yes uh yeah so that tape i had that tape and that was the tape i would bring over to all these people's houses to traumatize their children watching terminator unedited mm-hmm. and i must have watched that tape backwards and forward but then as i got older I only really watched Terminator and Commando. I never really watched Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah, I got to fast forward to the end of the fucking thing. And then I think I even taped over it. I might have taped Back to the Future on there, but that's real risky because who knew if Back to the Future would be longer than Karate Kid? But it ended up ending right this like was at the end of the tournament. Or you could just like look up the run, running time. Yeah, you didn't online. know what it was. You know, I mean, it would give you a block of what's up next, but you didn't know how long <laughs> the movie, you know, in your TV guide. So I haven't really, <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't really watched Karate Kid probably since 1985 or 86 because I haven't seen it from when I lived in New Haven and we moved out of New Haven to the suburb in, yeah. of Hamden in 86. So watching this tonight with you was so surreal because I still remember it so well. Yeah, yeah. I remembered every scene. I remember what was going to happen. I remember the mother. I remember the little... So that only makes me... Uh, kind of just speculate that I must have watched the shit out of it when I was little enough to be able to know like the beats and the stuff and what's yeah, happening yeah. and you know I remember the scenes I remember him getting the car and I remember him getting you know doing the bonsai tree and the mother coming in and she's like come on let's go you know so <laughs> you know you you have or like yeah, the, yeah. you know him with the dirt you know him throwing the bike out at the beginning that, this bike. yeah Mr. Miyagi's listening you know so it's all you, you know you remember or even like when they first go into the uh, Cobra Kai and uh, Martin Cove's like saying, like you know, no mercy, no justice. Yeah, sensei, yeah, yeah. leave without the da-da. Yeah, sensei, you know. And, or I remember his green beret picture yeah, that they yeah, did. Yeah. So it's like, it's so uh, so far. We've done a lot of podcasts where you and I both say I haven't watched this movie since whenever. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I can t- almost time date this that I haven't seen this since I was living in New Haven. So that's 85, 86. So it's amazing to we think. We watched at least a little bit of, of it in college, not the entire thing um, one time. Because I have a very specific memory of you and and me and a friend of mine, a former roommate of ours, uh, watching it. And the scene comes at the beach and the two guys are like hassling them at the truck. And yeah. Yagi cuts the bottles. Uh, who's also what's his face? That's that's uh, Larry Drake. Yeah, from uh, we Dark did Man. <laughs> Dark Man, and we also oh, did Dark, Dark Man of the Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I have a little <laughs> note in there. Uh, but so we were watching the, that scene, and the person we were with, who was also a film student, kept on saying that it that, <clears throat> and he wasn't referring to Larry Drake, but he was referring to the guy next to him, and he was wrong. But he was referring to the guy next to him as being John J. John G. Avildsen, the okay. director. Yeah, and you kept on saying like, 
the director? Like, no, that's the guy from L.A. Law. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, that's John G. Appleton. You're like, no, no. And you guys had, like, this weird, like, argument about, like, you know, that's like that's not John G. Appleton. That's, that's Dr. Giggles. <laughs> and he's referring to the other guy, which the other guy's not John G. Appleton. The other guy might actually be the writer, um, Mark. Robert Mark Kamen. Yeah. As, as like the guy who's with Larry Drake. But I, I have a very weird memory of like you guys having this odd argument over nothing. <laughs> Was that freshman year? Freshman year, or I have in my mind, it's the following year in that bedroom where I live with Dave. Um, like you sitting on Dave's bed. And oh, in the new, in the new apartment. <laughs> yeah, but it might have been freshman year. Yeah, because it was the same television set. That's funny that um, we that we ended up watching like uh, dark, not the dark half, the Salem's Lot on a bunch. Yeah, of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Might have been right around that. So I remember that. as having a weird thing. Now this movie was I, unlike you, I've watched this movie many times uh, over the years, and. There was a time when Dave and Steve, the Hastings brothers, who we talked about earlier, uh, they lived in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and I would go there, and we would stay up all night. Yeah. And sometimes I'd crash there, but most often than not, it wasn't really a sleepover because six o'clock in the morning would roll around, and then I'd get up and I'd go home. I'd take the subway home <laughs> in the daylight, like people go to church, yeah. you know. <laughs> You know, Mexican, you know, like the Hispanic people going to work in the morning or whatever. It's just very, it's a, it's an interesting crowd when you're, you're still that, drinking. on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning at that hour, you know. Um, and frequently Steve and I would want to put this on. And I don't know, I have to talk to Dave to see if, if like he doesn't like this movie or he just got sick of this movie. Or he just was, had an aversion to it because Steve and I loved it so much. But I have a very, uh, I have a memory of us putting it on and Dave being like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm if you guys are gonna watch this, I'm just gonna go to bed." So he like, he goes to bed and Steve and I are watching it and you know we're kind of drunk and it's getting <clears throat> getting early yeah. in the morning and we're sitting there watching it and we're like midway through the movie and. Uh, Steve's like, I'm I'm starting to pause. He's like, I'm thinking I'm gonna have to go to bed soon. I was like, honestly, Steve, I'm only I'm only gonna I was only gonna watch it to the scene where uh Miyagi comes back from fishing, the paint the house scene, and then Daniel's arguing with him, and then that's the revelation that he's been learning karate the whole time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the first big like goosebump moment of the movie, uh, where he's taught his lesson and Steve started laughing because he's like, That's exactly where I was I was he's like I was staying up for that scene <laughs> and then I was gonna go to bed. And I was like, I'm only waiting for that scene and then I'm going home. <laughs> and I just remember laughing. So this movie's a very big movie between Steve and I because we both uh, we've watched this movie together many a time. Uh, and that that scene being, you know, one of the big scenes of the movie, one of my favorite scenes. Uh, so I watched this movie. Uh, I don't know, maybe once a year. I mean, it was it. It has the 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 title of being the most rented movie, in 1985. So, and I, I have a huge memory of when is it 86 that the sequel came out. 86, yeah. So I remember going to the cinema and seeing that with my dad, and then I remember also owning the novelization to six, which I never read. But I remember having it and be like, like you know, sweet. Cause, you of know, this one or the second one? The second one. Yeah. And then I remember having in second grade, which is right when I moved to Hamden from New Haven, I went into uh, New Haven. New Haven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I had to get glasses because they told me I wasn't reading well, and they said the answer is he's not. He, he, he needs can't glasses. see. He can't see, which is I, I have perfect twenty twenty vision. So they got me glasses, and I went in. And it's funny because it, the glasses I got were just like it was just like a piece of glass. There's no, <laughs> it was you, like know, a... you know, it's just like there's no, you know, I can't see any, you know. But it was for reading. So I remember going to the to the optometrist and or, or wherever you get the glasses from, and I didn't know what kind of glasses I wanted to get. And I was like, yeah. And then I saw one gl- pair of glasses had a Karate Kid decal on the side, and it wasn't like. Nobody in the movie wears glasses in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't look like karate kid glasses. They just had like that kind of brown Some generic frame. Yeah, and it was maybe it was just a kid who before was in there with his mom put a piece of it was just a clear on like you know on the on the mm-hmm. thing and I was like, Oh, okay, I'm gonna get those. And I tried to keep that, you know, that little decal on as long as I could and it fell off like three days later. You know, so I remember this being huge. I don't have a memory at all of the third movie. But and I, I remember the Hillary Swank one is the fourth. Where she yeah the new karate. Would, yeah, I remember seeing that once where she's going up a hill to get a bonsai tree. But what's the, is the third movie the one where they have a, the guy with the he kind of looks like Michael Wilcock Wilk uh, Wilcox is that his name the guy from the Doors and from Metro and from the Crow. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling it's of, not him. Yeah, but you're but right. he, he looks he like, like a, him. and he's got like a black ponytail. Yeah, and, yeah. and Martin Cove is he's Martin Cove's boy. Yeah, and that's like Daniel's little too old. Okay. And the, uh, well, so the, the love interest is, I forget her name, but it's Blake Lively's sister is the love interest. So in that movie. Um, Elizabeth Shue reprises her role in the second one? No, it's actually, to my recollection, and again, I wanted to kind of look this up so I didn't get it wrong because I think, when yeah. we talked about it. But to my recollection, because I've always remembered it being kind of messed up, it's like he comes back from prom. To Miyagi's house because he's got like his blue tux, his powder blue tux. This is on. two, two, the beginning of two. Well, be, the beginning be after the after the the, the the real ending of part one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and he comes back, which means there's got to be a long stint in between that last that se- that opening scene, which is post. Maybe the tournament. Maybe it was the glass <laughs> or the ice bit. I remember. I don't know. We have to go back. And um, because the tournament's in like December. December 19th, our friend, my friend Patty, that's her birthday. So it's December 9th, yeah. And uh, Tamarex comes back from prom because he ends up going to Okinawa, f- I thought for the summer. But yeah, maybe it is it's, summer. Maybe it's spring break? I don't know. But he comes back and to my recollection, and I apologize to the diehard Karate Kid 2 fans out there uh, if I'm wrong, but my recollection They're is Elizabeth Shoe like hooks up with another dude at the... At the dance. So he comes home dejected. Without her. Yeah. Like he goes back to Miss Miyagi. Like, I bet. <laughs> and Miss Miyagi's like. <laughs> and so he comes back like that fucking. He's drinking. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, that's my I recollection. Read, <clears throat> I read in the preparation for this, I read about that. And that's what I wanted to get into. So, But I think the real thing was she had left. She was in Harvard. Yeah, In real life. In real yeah. life. And she. Took some time off from Harvard to do the first one. Yeah. And then she went back to school, and that's why she didn't do the second one. Yeah. But then she ended up leaving Harvard to just pursue the acting career, and then she ended up going back to college in 2000 or something to get her degree. Yeah. You know, much, much later. And she's now coming out in that new uh, Death Wish remake. 
She's the well, that's Bruce good. Willis's uh, I, wife know, in that. As I've stated with Adventures of Babysitting, I've always loved Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I've, that's because she's clearly the aggressor in the first movie. She's all over him like a cheap suit. She like falls and she's like, "I'm gonna fuck him. Like, he's mine." <laughs> but then instead of such I a, ever read it that way. Well, she's I, she's very much she's the one yeah. who's like you know fancies him. She's saying hello to him. you know. It's not like he's really going out of his way to try to like get her to like yeah, turn. Yeah, you know, she's very much like into him too, and she's, you know, uh, facilitating these situations where they're hanging out, or she's you know running up to him while they're in the, the lunch line. But uh, that's such a letdown then, then to, to know that she's if she's so into him for that summer or yeah, yeah. year, and then by the time that's my recollection, the end of the school year. If that's the end There's of some, the school year, some things that kind of let you down with sequels like that, like for since, since like the main reason I don't love Die Hard with a Vengeance, yeah. It's because, like, I can't get over the fact that they're not together. After two fucking movies. Oh, the wife. The McLean's yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. The, what he's done for her. <laughs> yeah, they rekindle it in the first one in the limo at the end. And then at the second one, yeah, it's at the airport. It's like, yeah. And she still, they still can't, like, she still leaves him? Like, after all he's well, done. <laughs> for all we know, maybe Bruce. Or, I understand that John McLean's probably not an easy guy to Yeah, he could be with. a drunk, you know. Who knows what he's going on. He needs to take but his still, shoes off everywhere and rub clearly, his Clearly, there's a, there's a love there that they should be able to work through. So technically, then, um, if they're moving, if the um, uh, what's Daniel's last name? Larosa. Larusso. Larusso. If the Larussos are moving in the yeah. summer of '84, well, this is we should mention that the reason why we picked this movie was because it's our back to school. Oh it's, shit! It's our back yes, to school. This movie opens. Sums, yeah, so we should we need to go back. <laughs> We need to start over. Yeah. Rewind. So we're so we're kicking. We did that with Weekend at Bernie's a couple years ago, but that was actually like no, we did it to kick the summer off. And that yeah. was Labor Day. Yeah, <laughs> we fucked that up. Yeah. And then we, last year we did Greece. We did Greece, even though Greece a, spans like the whole year. Yeah, but it opens with back to school. Yeah, summer eleven. Summer. Yeah, and now this is this is yeah this is the end of the. This, so we this, decided to do this movie because it opens close in September, the Newark, New Jersey. And it's on location because I know that bridge, you know, when yeah. you drive in 95 or the turnpike, you know that bridge that you can look, that's looking towards New York City. And then... Yeah. The movie opens with this big montage of them driving cross country. Yeah. Very much like so, the, you know, the pilot of Who's the Boss, you know, where they're leaving, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and he's I driving up to Connecticut. I know you get that. I thought exactly the same thing Did we you? watched. It. This is totally like the opening of Who's the what Boss. What can we do, baby? <laughs> no, that's, not, not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the right song. <laughs> that's not Right song that's family ties. Shamandina, uh, what's what's oh, what's man. what's what's now who's the boss theme? Had you not taught, sung that, I probably would have been able. Who's to the boss theme? Is uh, now I've got yeah. What do we do? <laughs> had you not tainted tainted love with uh, had you not uh, polluted my mind? Yeah, but they start in Newark. I mean, who knows if it's the right people? But it's the no, it, it's the it's standards. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it's the right car. Yeah, yeah. they've got the right uh, station wagon, and it, it's very much. I'm a I have a big affinity for the. 1986 film Wise Guys, which oh, I didn't even know. It's a Brian De Palma film <laughs> with. Uh, Go figure. I think. Well, hopefully, we'll do one day with Joe, uh, Joe Piscopo, Danny DeVito, Harvey Keitel, and Captain Lou Albano. Um, and they live in row housing like that in Newark, and mm-hmm. it's very much like that. They're leaving, and it's kind of fucked up because. You know, <laughs> Ralph, uh, uh, you know, Daniel's like, you know, I'll see you soon. I'll be back. He's telling the kids. And, you know, you know, he's like, yeah, back. <laughs> they never go you know, back. and then, yeah, we have we have this little quick montage cross country. We should we should say that this is because it's the opening of the movie. But we also 
this is the beginning, the first glimpse of like the brilliance of uh, a Bill Conte score for yeah. this movie. Because not only do we are they traveling cross country during this credit sequence, which we didn't even need to see. They could have just started yeah. it like him coming over the horizon with a U-Haul attached to the yeah, uh, station yeah. wagon. And it's like, oh, I'm from Newark. But we're going from East Coast to West Coast. Uh, all this, uh, you know. You see them passing various states. Car dies at a motel. They got to push the but car. But we got Conte's kind of, he's bringing us across the country with the music. Yeah, yeah. You know, every place they stop, he's got like little shades of, when they go through like Monument Valley. You know, a little, yeah. a little bit of. It's very much for me, it was because we just did over the top. It's like, you know, at the beginning when, when Sly's driving that truck to the graduation. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, and I will say that, you know, Conti, I mean, I've ex- I've explained many a time that Conti's score for Rocky is one of my favorite scores of all time. But, uh, yes, no movie is, you know, no movie can survive without, without music, without a score. So uh, musical score is important to all movies. But there are certain scores that just fucking make the movie. Yeah. And I just... It, I just I love Conti's score for this movie. It's so beautiful, uh, and it elevates everything. He's he's such a brilliant composer. I mean, it really adds weight and like gravitas and the whole like East meets West aspects of the score with the pan flute. Um, it's just it really takes this movie from being a good movie to being like a fucking great movie. Do you think that the um that's the actual reasoning to have. As I said, you didn't need to have the beginning bit of them leaving Newark. Maybe that's the, the literal interpretation that it's East coming to West. That's a good point. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know the East Coast going to the yes. West Coast to meet, you know. And, that's and, and, a, I, I never would never thought well, of you that, said it. And that's what made me think of it. But uh, it know. very well could. I mean, it could just. Here's the thing. Nobody, because of television, like the art of the credit sequence is is not as prominent now as it used to be. Yeah. But movies used to have like a fucking credit sequence. Yeah. You know, where it was like especially in the 90s you had those maybe around the time of the fan, you had a lot of those movies that would have like you you'd hire out a special, you know, production house that would just do your credit sequence. Yeah. You'd have like a mini movie or some crazy shit going on. And yeah, there's always been kind of a, an allure. <laughs> but now because so many TV shows kind of just like to start off for a second and then they run the rest of the credits over the beginning of the show. Yeah. A lot of movies kind of do that now, but there used to be very specific credit sequences. And like you said, a lot of them used to be like animated or, you know, totally different. This is technically during the movie, but it's, it's its own little montage of us getting a sense of going from one place to another, going from point A to point B, trying to maybe start a new life somewhere. It kind of sets up this, whole world that we're going to you know that we're moving we're moving with the yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the mother reads come to find out they're they're moving in it to me it looks like a motel but i guess there's a lot of places out there that are like bungalows or apartments kind of like that and, yeah. and you find out that she's gotten a job as like a, she's working at some sort of computer or like yeah. a rocket some kind of high paying job and the reason why she's come over here yeah now the funny thing is not funny but the in the original script and in the novelization, novelization. Uh, and it makes sense because when they go jumping ahead a little bit, when they have that, they're eating dinner at the restaurant. Yeah. And he sees the Cobra Kai dojo across the street. Yeah. And he's uh, telling his mom about 
Elizabeth Shue. And that's yeah. what she walks away, and he's continuing to talk about how beautiful she is. Uh, they're having lunch, and then there's, like, a woman in the background that's like, Lucy... You know, she's and she gets up and leaves. The reason why is because the company they moved out there for went bankrupt. And so she lost her job. Oh, for fuck's sake. And so she's like the the hostess at this Orient Express restaurant now. We're trying to get and her so, the like, job? And so she's having dinner with her son, but the, the person's like, you got to get back to work. So, but they, so they completely keep that from us in the movie. Yeah. I thought it was just it, maybe there was a work function at work. Uh, at no, the restaurant no. and she's like you know it's come be- back it's because she's she works at that restaurant now and uh, um, young she Daniel's tells the, ha- she uh, tells the story well. that's like the company went under I lost my job but I'm leaving the office and somebody's leaving the restaurant and she's like I quit and the boss was like no you're fired and she's like I just walked in and got and you know and I was the first applicant and Daniel and so Daniel's like you lost your job does that mean we get to go back home and so there's a scene there where she's like, what do you, like, this is home now. Why do you think she was so gung-ho to get out there? Maybe just to start a new life? I think she just wanted to start a new life. She's killing probably, the kid's life. I mean, she's not really taking I know, him into but consideration. I think she probably had ideas that this was going to be better for him yeah. than growing up in Newark, New Jersey, which yeah. nothing against Newark, New Jersey, but especially back then in the 80s, uh, there's still parts of it that aren't great, but especially back then in the 80s, New York was, Newark was like... You know, they were described as like the armpit of America, like literally was described that way in things. Yeah. It was not a good place. It was not a great place. Very industrial town and, you know, very. And just a lot of crime and and stuff. It was really run down back then. The whole, like that whole area, sadly, certain parts like of Patterson, certain areas of. Yeah. I think they've, now they've tried to, you know, there's a big, you know, there's still shitty. They put a big performing arts center there now. And I think they're really trying to make it. Better, and I'm sure parts of it are, but back in the 80s, it was really not a good place to live. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. So she's just trying to make a better life for her son. Yeah, she takes him to the beach. So I, so that whole, so you've read the novelization. There's some similarities and differences. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and that's a huge uh, plot point that they take away that you know, that that he she loses the job that she was so eager to get there for because she just said like the scene before. Uh, she says, I'm I'm interviewing as the manager or I'm getting promoted as a manager. I think she's talking about the restaurant. <laughs> so there you go. So see, the audience then thinks she's talking about the... Yeah, uh, like the, rocket her, computers. Yeah, and she's getting a manager, you know. And yeah. She, and she whole, might even say, like, I'm the hostess and I'm going to be a manager. Yeah, you know, there's but, a scene in the scene where she tells him and because uh, she's, you know, like she is in the movie, I'm sure very... She's, upbeat yeah, about she's it, trying to positive be. about and it, and I've never seen her since. Yeah, but, I can't think of anything else she's. Uh, but it's funny because I haven't seen her literally since I last watched this movie. But I, it's such a f- familiarity with her. Yeah, and she to me seems like that. Uh, you know, like Mercedes Rule, or it's like you know that, those those mothers of the eighties and nineties yeah, of like yeah. you know maybe from Wonder Years or Life Goes On, the show about um, the kid with Down syndrome. But like you have these. Mothers who are very positive, very, yeah. you know, the, the, it could be a nuclear holocaust, and they're still like, hey, you know, we're going to make the best out of this. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, and, and of course, her, her being on, a let single me see mom. Those baby browns. Yeah, you know, it's like her being a single mom, and she's not, for for all we know, or Ralph, no, uh, Daniel knows, she's not like in the. In the in the bedroom, crying in the morning, you know, Mom, yeah. what's wrong? Nothing. I got some in my eye. <laughs> Just some smoke in my eye. You know. Yeah, yeah. So she's really holding the family together. So 
that's just terrible to yeah. move cross country. You know, drive. You're putting all that mileage on that old Oldsmobile. So in the scene, obviously the cutout scene, obviously Daniel's like, you went, but you went back to night school to learn all the computer stuff, and now you're a waitress. Fucking. She's like, no, I'm a hostess. Like it's and it's only temporary, is. you know, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So it's more of a now the Cobra Kai tension there. scene. Did you do you, uh, do you know the connection with us with Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers? That Cobra Kai dojo there is um, it looks like it was an old movie theater that they converted. But yeah. if you look when when uh, him and um, Pat Morita are crossing the street and uh, they come out of Cobra Kai, a little to the left of them, over their right shoulders, uh, screen left, there's like it looks like a marquee. So maybe it was a little movie theater. Mm-hmm. That is where in Falling Down. Uh, when uh, defense Michael Douglas is walking home, he buys the snow globe. Oh, okay. So I guess ten years later, the Cobra Kai must have folded up, and they have like a little like freaking you know, uh, yeah. like I don't know what that is a flea market there, you yeah. know, and, and that's where he bought. You know, the Cobra the- Kai dojo with the big sign and the cobra snake on the sign out front. Watching it this time, I kind of realized, you know, thinking about the Lost Boys and like the boardwalk stuff when growing up in. And going to Wildwood, New Jersey as a kid, like all the stores had those kinds of like big, like hand painted. Yeah, it's like Lake George. You know? <laughs> like elaborate. Yeah. So it was like another thing like that. Totally, even though technically it's not a beach town in the same sense, uh, you know, there, there's no boardwalk stuff. And but like just like the, every store, video store, whatever, all had like these giant elaborate, like handmade. Yeah, you yeah. know, catch people, yeah. catch tourists' attention. Yeah, like crazy Eddie kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. See now, so they get cross country. They move into that like a little apartment place. He that the plot seems to be moving for me really quickly up until he kind of meets Marita, uh-huh. and then it kind of seems to me like it takes his time a little bit to get to the to the ending bit. But when we get to the hotel or the the, the, the apartments, he meets that kid. And it's so yeah, funny because yeah. you never get a payoff with that kid. You think that kid's going to be his friend. And then, like, everybody leaves him on the beach that night, even yeah. that kid. And he's like, you know, that, that kid feels like Machio's like a disappointment. Elizabeth well, Shooter, credit, it's tries more to like stay. like when they leave, it's like, it's more like he. But we he never seems, see him again. He seems reluctant, but his friends are like, you really picked a winner there, jerk. But he goes with him. He's like, yeah, you're right. So he kind of goes. But yeah, then, yeah, then we yeah. never see well, him again. Peer like, pressure. Yeah, but then the they kid do never. They come around, they're at the end. They are celebrating his victory with him. Oh well, fuck you! You, you don't know, get like that. fucking yeah, yeah. Don't come, back, come to the black you party. Come back when I'm on top. Yeah, you where so- were you when I was down <laughs> in the sand? Yeah, there's <laughs> a pigeon spitting sand out of spitting sand and blood out of my mouth in a, in yeah, a horseshoe yeah. crab. Well, you know, there's this thing. It's uh, you know, and it's interesting because um, the mother's he he doesn't he doesn't we didn't want to leave. Yeah, Newark. It's a new place. Understandable. Kids. I was the same way when I, when we moved away from Philadelphia. Uh, and she's like, well, you know, you remember that summer when you had when you went to the country and you didn't want to go, and then you ended up meeting, you know, Tony and Johnny. Yeah, <laughs> and they became your best friends. Um, obviously that that's after this scene where he meets this kid, but you kind of feel like he's gonna fit in. It seems positive. Yeah, I think that kind of stuff. It's it's the setup. It's you build it up so that you can let it down. Well, that's you know? that's why it's already he's got a friend. The friends help. I thought the kid was going to run off with the shit, <laughs> you know. But he the kid, he helps him up. And he, but he I do want to say party. that scene when she explains that I never until wasn't until this time where I kind of made the correlation. She's like, you know, when you you were you didn't want to go, but when you went, you made you made your best friend. You met your best friend. He didn't want to come to California, but he met Mr. Miyagi, yeah, his best friend. 
Yeah. You know, your best friend I ever had. Uh, so a little bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little interesting screenwriting thing there. Yeah. So, you know, he, he, gets, inv- he gets invited to the party. Uh, he sees a little bit of the shoe. She's playing that eye game with him, you know, and then they're like, you got to fucking go over there. I love, the look. you know, the look of love <laughs> is in your eye. <laughs> yeah, Isaac Hayes just shows up and does his version of it. Funny uh, thing, if you slow it down or you pay attention when they're playing soccer, the kid that he meets. Yeah. You know, he's he does the, Daniel does the dribbling thing on his knees and then they break away and they run away from Elizabeth's shoe. That kid takes the ball right in the face. Does he really? <laughs> Oh, the ball bounces right off his face. <laughs> use that take. We'll use that. That's the best take. But she's into it. I, I that's such a great move to get your friends to go talk to a, a girl, knock the knock the soccer ball over. It's almost like they're both waiting for some sort of necessitation. Yeah. They necessitate them. They're and she's like, I've been waiting for you, you know. And he's like, Hey, you know. And she's like, I'm ready, you know. And, and they're talking, and then and then we intro the the Lost Boys come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because there's this moment in that scene. Right as and I, I'm wondering if it's so supposed to be that she sees Johnny and the Cobra Kai, she sees the Lost Boys coming, um, because and they just kill. She's teaching him how she he's showing her how to dribble the ball. Yeah. And then she just takes the ball and she kicks it. I know. She like, makes him go like, into the ocean. <laughs> he's, got, he's, like, he's like, don't worry, I'll go get it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, and he, go get it, you sucker. And, and I don't know if it's supposed to play like she sees them coming. And she's worried that, that And she's just gonna... trying to put distance between them so that there's not an altercation. But it totally doesn't read that way. No, it, it just, just looks like, like she just... She's like, yeah. And then yeah. she just takes the ball and like she's like it down the... You know, you want this? Go get it. Or our favorite line... Kids should be in school, you know. <laughs> She's just like, and he's like, "Oh no, I'll go get it. Don't worry." Then he comes back, and it's like, you know, the, the both groups of friends have broken up. Yeah, the, the boombox. Yeah, the, the biker gang comes and all that. And then, yeah, you have, uh, and he'd already been kind of telling the other kid that he had taken some uh, taekwondo or, uh, or karate, karate yeah, at classes the at the Y. So. So then, like, it's gotten around a little bit. So then they're like, all right. You know, so they think, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to show this kid something. And then the other guy just, you know, savages him. And uh, yeah, we Johnny. get to, so then he goes to, in, in our scene where he's the, the, with, the, with the restaurant with the mom, he runs over to, we, we get intro the fucking Cobra guy. Yeah. We get Martin Cove in there. And Martin Cove is such a fucking yeah, like, like he's so good in this movie. Yeah, he's, he really I is mean, the guy you really to hate. Great I actually think the performances in this movie are really underrated. I mean, one, Pat Morita got nominated for Academy Award for yeah, Best Supporting of Actor. He's great. A lot of people don't realize uh, of a younger generation. The Pat Morita was a stand-up comic yeah. who was really only known because he played a side a side part on Sanford and Son. Yeah. And he was... and he was Because uh, he used to open for Red Fox. And, and he people. was Al on... <laughs> Unhappy. Days. Well, yeah, in like season three or season six, he owned like the the, the and then he had a he big was, part he, on Mash. He and some owned other the, like stuff. the diner that they hung out. Yeah, in, the, and the uh, what's his name? Joint. His name is uh, Naroki uh, Marita. They they gave him his full name and, for this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was a stand up comic. Interesting history. I mean, nowadays because of the popularity, mostly because of the Howard Stern show, we've all come to know uh, George Takei. Uh, Star Trek's Mr. Sulu, and and a lot of us know that he was as because it's his big cause now, and he had a Broadway musical that he did about it, about when World War II broke out, especially on the West Coast, that a lot of the Japanese American families or the or the immigrated Japanese families that were living there were put into 
Japanese-American internment camps. They were basically put into camps because the America didn't trust that they... Because yeah. ja the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, so we all know... Most of us know that that happened to George Takei. And they did it to some Germans and Italians, too, on the East Coast. And uh, <clears throat> th that's become a big cause for George Takei, to, to get the awareness out there. Yeah. Uh, mostly so that something like that doesn't happen again. But just to let people know this part of American history that's kind of ugly. I believe that happened to Pat Morita's family, too. Yeah, they, they had immigrated to... to uh, and it's interesting, too, because uh, I'm a big uh, Charlie Chan fan, and they make a Mr. Moto reference here. Peter Lorre, remember? He's like... Mm -hmm. the, and that scene with uh, them, they're like, hey, Mr. Moto, and they call him like a nip. You know, the, the <laughs> yeah, two yeah. hillbillies. Like he's got a pet nip. Yeah, it's so fucking racist. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a Chinese exclusionary act, right, at the turn of the century because they didn't want uh, more people from China and because uh, there was a war going on over there to, to immigrate. And I would think that would... You know, because of the ignorance of the culture at the time, that would mean any kind of people from Asia. Yeah. So, uh, but Ori his Orientals. Yeah, back unquote. then. Um, so his f parents were immigrated here in the teens, and then they got married. And when he was born, they were put into an internment camp. And uh, you know, I, at the time, it's like you know they were worried because of what was happening, say on the East Coast. You had you know German spies, and you know, there was this big thing that something was going to happen. So. I guess you could say it was good intentions making these internment camps, but then it was horrible conditions yeah. and it was nothing better than really like the concentration camps over in Japan where they certainly weren't killing anybody, but there are stories where these, these buildings they made, you know, uh, at night there was no heat, you know, there was holes in the wall between the planks. So it wasn't very, uh, yeah. you know, thought through in a sense. There weren't great living conditions. Yeah, you know, and then you're after, putting American citizens, yeah, into it, you know, because because I they're mean, you're worried. basically imprisoning them. Yeah, because we're at war with the people at the time, you know, because you know it was the stigma, because it was it was like people not knowing, you know, it was yeah. again going back to like Chinese and you know people of the era, like uh, you know, at the turn of the century, where they you know, they keep to themselves, you don't know what they're you know in, in the Chinatown, so you know who knows what could be happening, and there was a huge stigma, ten or fifteen years earlier, we talk about. Uh, a little bit, I think, in the Peter Lorick podcast that we did on the um, Mad Love, Mad Love, we talk about a little, of the, you know, that people were a little worried at the time, and you know, and that's why a reason that I, I like a character like Charlie Chan or Mr. Moto because those were positive. You had like a Fu Manchu that was very negative yeah. connotations of the of of an Oriental, like you said, quote unquote. But you had these characters that even though. Uh, both characters cited weren't being played by their actual nationalities. Sure. It was Yellowface. It was still having a character be a positive light. And aside from Mr. Moto, Charlie Chan, there's never any negative connotation that, oh, you know, it's a Chinaman or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, they always play it straight, which is good. So in the 40s, you know, when they put these people in their internment camps, you had uh, Pat Morita was still young at the time, and he developed a very bad disease. He had, uh, um, spinal uh, tuberculosis they call it pot disease and he had to live very young they said he'd never walk again he was in a full body cast for a lot of his youth and they put him like in a, Shri a Shriners hospital a lot of people know Shriners today from those commercials with mm -hmm. that, that kid that should get an Oscar with, with a little <coughs> blanket yeah, yeah. and uh, he stayed into like a hospital till he was like 11 and then he had to learn how to walk again so he was cured but luckily he was taken care of at the time and since he was a quote unquote minority at the time there was a very good chance he might not have been 
gotten the help he received. Sure. So, like you said, and then his parents owned a restaurant like in San Diego, uh, uh, an ethnic restaurant, maybe Chinese-Japanese restaurant, and he would do jokes there. And then he uh, he started doing stand-up. His manager at the time was Lenny Bruce's mom. You know, and he, and he used to open for these people. And like you said, um, you know, Red Fox gave him a job on uh, Sanford and Son because he, he knew him. And then it was when it, we got to this movie, um, Jerry um, Weintraub, <coughs> Weintraub yeah. didn't want to uh, hire him because he didn't want to hire a comedian for the yeah. role. Much like, originally, and the studio originally wanted to share Mufuni. Yes, who would have been, it would have been fucking amazing. It's much like the Michael Keaton dilemma with batman where they're like you're gonna hire a comedian mr mom or beetlejuice yeah, batman yeah. we're here it's like you know why would you hire a comedian to play this role so they wanted someone very serious but sadly when they tested Tashiro mufune he was too serious yeah it was like he was more intimidating yeah and i think that would have been a, a completely different road it, I th- it would have been a different movie altogether yeah. tone and might have been as good of a movie yeah. but it would have been a very different movie yeah and then they wanted mako too m-a-k-o the gentleman who at the time was shooting conan the destroyer yeah and he couldn't do it and uh so they ended up getting um marita but marita had to test like five times for it and convince wine trap that and he even kind of talks about that audition as being when the way he described it you know he's no longer with us but when he would talk about it it was almost like he was kind of possessed by the miyagi character like he just kind of came went in and when he read the lines, like the voice just kind of came to him. Yeah, and he and, doesn't speak like and that. And the he, demeanor. He yeah, has he's a complete, from California. I mean, he was yeah, a, he was born and raised in California. Born and raised in California. So he doesn't have that broken Japanese kind of accent but that his still, parents maybe had. Yeah, you know. But, but he said, "Is he maybe did he say he was like intimidating his grandfather or something like how it?" You know, yeah, did. yeah. So he just kind of. It just kind of came out of him, and he said even when he left the audition, he was like, "Where did that come from?" You know, it was just kind of came naturally to him. Um, but a brilliant performance, got nominated for an Academy Award in 1985, and uh, there's a little bit of a connection to a previous Saturday Night Movie Sleepover uh, episode. Neither Pat Morita nor Ralph Richardson's won the the Academy Award, but Ralph Richardson was nominated for his role in Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan, uh, also Lord of the Apes, <laughs> which we did as a July the 4th movie last year, 2016. Uh, one of my personal favorites that we did because the new, most recent Tarzan movie was coming out yeah. that weekend. Uh, all this long way around to say some great performances in this movie, so including got, Martin Cove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Cove, we had had out a, a he 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 came and actually slept over with us in a prior uh, podcast. We you could we put a link in here to that, and uh, he was talking about this role. Not so much. I mean, he's a big enthusiast for for the western genre, and he loves the western. Mm-hmm. And he, he talked more about in, in us talking to him about you know Steve McQueen and his early career. Uh, Cove's early career, and which uh, oddly enough, there's a Stephen King connection, Stephen Steve McQueen connection to this movie. Yeah, because Chad is in it, Ch- uh, Steve's son. Because I, I guess some people know that McQueen uh, took classes from Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was training like him, James Colburn at the time, and a, a bunch of other people, and they were also friends. Mc- Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah, who shows up in uh, Game of Death, and then they were pallbearers at uh, Bruce Lee's funeral, and then Chad ended up doing martial arts and chads in this movie and it's full circle because martin cove in our interview opines that he kind of missed out on an opportunity to work with mcqueen in his last western mcqueen's tom horn and then full circle four years later mcqueen dies in 1980 
uh, I think Tom Horn is also 1980. Uh, it's his second to last film. Uh, four years later, he works with McQueen's son, Chad, yeah. in this. And Chad's the member of the Cobra Kai named Dutch? Yeah. Is that his name in the second movie with a Dutch? Character in the <laughs> yeah, which we just did Predator two weeks ago, and he's, I think he's, he's the one that clearly has like the the most like uh, the most uh, martial arts skills. No, no, his look. He's he's the one that he's bleached blonde. Clearly, he's not a blonde. Yeah, and he's the one that's like most evidently like bleached. Like they bleach his eyebrow. The one he, the one that says, "I'm gonna, you're, you're dead meat at the end of the dead movie." Dead meat. Yeah, and then then he goes <laughs> on there, and he's he's the first one that the Danielson fights the Cobra Kai. But uh, he's the one that like clearly looks like his hair is bleached. Like he's not naturally blonde at all. Yeah, and but uh, it's the '80s, so like that was doesn't, a, and it's California '80s too, yeah, where yeah. you're hanging out so on the it beach. Kind of makes it that was kind of it doesn't the, seem doesn't really look bad. It's just, it looks like you know. Uh, Billy Zapka is a blonde. Is blonde, yeah. You know, whereas this guy's clearly not blonde. Yeah. His, his, his what is it? His curtains aren't matching his drapes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Cove, I think was we said was doing Cagney Lacey at the time, and then he ended up getting this. And it's this was a year before he ends up getting Rambo too. Yeah. And I wonder if there is a timeline there where they, you know, they they both have connections to Vietnam, and if there is a you know somebody out there who can make the delineation that like this is the same crease. And this movie is the same guy who ends up, you know, gets called back to, you know, to be a to weekend warrior, to, to be fly, to uh, fly, yeah, to John Rambo, Rambo to, to, to get some POWs. Um, and it's, he's got a really small part in this movie. And I've only, I've known him all my life, but I think I've said before, I'm not contractually obligated, but I do get endorsed by saying I watch uh, Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> and he yeah. plays a really great role in Cagney and Lacey. And that's another movie, another show, which I'd never thought I'd say I watch, but actually it's like one of my top favorite shows now. And he plays a very good role on it. First, he's a misogynist on the show because he's, yeah. it's about two female uh, police officers in New York City and what they have to deal with. And then, uh, you know, his character evolves past that. And, and, and uh, you know, you, you realize that he's a very nuanced actor. He's not just playing like a, a pretty boy yeah. and, or a cardboard cutout. And you get some of that here where, you know, he get, he's got relatively a very small role. He's, he's got, got like three scenes, right? Yeah, he's got he, the two dojo scenes and then the tournament. Yeah, and then, he, you know, he's got very little dialogue. He never actually talks to, 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 to Daniel's character directly at all, I think. Yeah. I think in they say in any of the movies. I think at one point they do say he yells at one point in maybe the third movie, but who knows if he's directed at Ralph Macchio? But in this movie, he talks to Marita directly, mm-hmm. and uh, he's very good. And it's also kind of a thing going into I think uh, if we want to open that Pandora's box of how you know your uh, idea of like kids growing up in a sports academic world <laughs> yeah, yeah. and having you know you have. You know, I think to a certain extent, I think you agree that sports or those kind of activities are good for kids. But then you clearly evident, you know, in, say, the Bad News Bears or much more in the 80s and 90s, you see with kids our age and helicopter moms or people getting nuts that, like, sometimes these environments aren't good for growing minds. And you have this Cobra Kai here who it's almost like it's some kind of a... It's a, you know, it's not just like you getting your mom dropping you off to go to karate class and leaving. Yeah. They're hanging out together. They're, they're, they're spending all their time there. I'm sure, uh, Cove's got them like, you know, painting the dojo, all kind. And then they're also, uh, I don't know, is it the, the African-American in the class who I recognize from other movies? 
he's from Revenge of the Nerds. Yes, he's, he's the Lamar. nerd. Yeah, he's uh, the very effeminate <clears throat> Lamar. He, uh, I wonder if it's if you know, am I reading into it too much that he's the one that they they pick to beat up and like you know maybe because he's a minority in the class, you know <laughs> yeah. who knows? But like you know, there is to seem to be there's some kind of like. Uh, Jim Jones kind of a thing going on inside the class. Yeah, yeah. They're listening to him. Even the kids are questioning his his commands at points. Certainly near the end, you know, where he's like sweep the leg or that other thing, where he's like, you know, you know, knock him out. And he's like, well, I'll get disqualified. He's like, you know, knock him out. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, so he's kind of evil. Well, I mean, that's part of the <clears throat> lessons of the movie, and it's part of the themes. You know, Miyagi says it. He's like, there's no bad students, only bad teachers. Yeah. Um. You know, it's part of the things like you can't blame the kids for following uh, a bad guy. Yeah. You know, uh, young athletic teenagers, you could totally see looking up to a guy like an ex, Kreese, an ex you know, uh, army he's very event. masculine, yeah. he's very powerful, he's very he's very uh, sure of himself. We've got a badass tattoo on his <laughs> left side, you know, shoulder tattoo. Uh, and you know certainly an authority you can see how some young men would gravitate towards a guy like that and that's the, a good distinction and then the bad influence that's that they that a person like that could have on on young adults where they um you know martial arts are usually you're supposed to learn and master martial art because you're not supposed to use it it's always supposed to be the last yeah you know a martial art if you learn a martial art and you become a black belt in anything you're also supposed to be able to your first line of defense is reasoning or getting out or any anything you can do aside from resorting to physical violence that's supposed to, and then you're supposed to be able to then take care of yourself with the martial art i took a keto steven seagal's art for six or five or six years before i went to college and that was the whole thing with aikido another japanese uh, martial arts specifically, where uh, Aiki and Do means two different things. Aiki is like the key, the, the energy inside of you, and Do I think is defense. I don't. It's silly that I don't recall it now, but it's 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 they're all they're all very defensive yeah, martial yeah. arts, and karate is a little more of a uh, offensive martial art to a certain extent. And it's funny because once this movie hit, I'm sure it's because of this movie, or also because of maybe influences like a Chuck Norris at the time that karate was huge in the eighties. Like it, it became almost as synonymous with like America, like with pizza, yeah, you yeah. know, or Chinese food, you know, you, you know, if kids, I remember I went to, when I was really young, I tried like a Taekwondo class, but like everybody was into like, you know, trying to take a martial art. So, um, it's hard to see, you know, that this guy is, is taking it and then they're using it, his team, the Cobra Kai are using it in a completely different way. They're going out and bullying people. They're, you know, you know, they're being really mean. Yeah. You know, uh, this was a role that they actually offered to Chuck Norris, which has been very interesting. Well, it's, you know, it depends on what you read. You know, that's the thing about the internet is it could, um, cause he's later denied that, hasn't he? Cause he's, he said that they never offered it to me. Basically the, the, the legend was that they offered it to Norris and he turned it down because he didn't want to be, not that he didn't want to be a bad guy, but he didn't want to be a guy that kind of, uh, smirches the karate yeah like yeah. disrespects the martial yeah. art by being playing a character that comes at the martial art f 
from that we that, just talked from about. that negative of yeah. a position. And it would have been hard for him at the time because he was a American hero. He hadn't yeah. played a villain. He was a good guy. So, but John G. Avildsen had said, "I has said, quote unquote, like I don't re, I don't recall us ever offering it to Chuck Norris." And Chuck Norris has apparently has come out and said. They never. I, I never got offered the role, but I probably would have turned it down for the reasons why people think I turned it down. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it would have been very interesting to see if he if he had done the role, but it would have been very weird because at the, you could see an actor nowadays doing this, but yeah. back then movies you seem to be very t- typecast very easily. So if he were to come and do a movie like this, I think it would have. You know, it could have changed his career for the better or for the worse. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Or would have just been like, oh, that's an odd choice for him. And, you know, and he was such a proponent of teaching the ways of martial arts. And, and I, I like Chuck Norris just fine. But honestly, like, I don't think he was, I don't think he is as good of an actor a good enough actor to have pulled it off as well as Martin Cove does. The Eve, like being that yeah. rotten of a guy. Like Martin so Cove just like, <laughs> he just totally fucking nails it. Yeah. Like, so, like, dude, like you said, he's not really in that much of the movie, but he's so memorable. His presence. He, he's yeah. so, he's such a huge presence of the movie. Even he's almost he's like only in, a, in three scenes. He's almost like an anti-hero in, in the sense of that he's the kind of a, the guy you love to hate. And I think he said that, that, yeah. that people no, tell him nobody that. he's like nobody comes up to me and says i hate you in that movie everybody says i love to hate you in that yeah. movie and he's cuz he is such like of a uh, you know with, well, with he's little a, he's like an unapologetic hard ass and asshole yeah which you kind of have to respect in some way yeah <laughs> and it's like it's, he's so committed to it and i love to like just completely uh, make up backstory with shows i watch and all that kind of thing so you you know i wonder if you know did he learn it while he was like, you know, in Vietnam or, you know, like Chuck, like a Chuck Norris? Was he teaching or how did he get the dojo? Is it always, you know, you know, if he's this much of a dick, how was he as a soldier back in the wars? Yeah. Probably was a dick. So, so, uh, Machio goes in there, you know, he's interested until he sees that, uh, the, that his head pupil is the other guy who, when we had Cove sleep over for, for our podcast <laughs> yeah. a couple weeks, a couple months ago, uh, we met him at the. Uh, Monster Mania convention. We went. We went down. Uh, we went down to in Lower New Jersey, Cherry Hill, and it was a reunion of the Karate Kid that weekend. Ralph Macho was there, and the actor who Billy played Zapka. Yeah, and we were there. You were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was only there with you to, to help you out Saturday and Sunday. And Macho only made an appearance that Friday. So when we were there that weekend, it was only Martin Cove and Zappa were together, and they were in a room kind of on their own, and it was. The, the two of them and then D.B. Sweeney. Yeah. And you could tell they all were friends. And it was weird because there's what if here where I guess uh, D.B. Sweeney tried out for the role and, and was turned down for Ralph Macchio. And um, he would have been. I'm like Sean Penn, they say, you know, tried yeah, out for the role, but he know. was doing adult roles. Even back then, I think they would have read a little bit. Yeah, too old compared to Macchio. You know, uh, I was just watching Eight Men Out like three days ago that's got to be around it's got to be post 84 but right around that time he plays shoeless joe jackson yeah um so i, I think the i i personally am probably one of the world's largest db sweetie fans. yeah yeah <laughs> i don't think there's any i don't think there are many specific db sweetie fans out there but i love db sweeney uh i think he would have maybe read too old but i could see it them trying out anybody 
that might yeah. fit, you know? Well, they, they were they were in this part of the... They were kind of away on the other side of the convention. The convention was, like, on one side of the hotel, and then there was, like, the lobby, and then on the other side, they had a room, and they had uh, the two of them in there, the three of them in there with uh, WWF wrestlers that ended up... A lot of them... Ric Flair was supposed to be there, but he didn't show up, so a lot of them ditched out, like, Saturday afternoon, and they weren't even there that Sunday. So I was hanging out in there to end up talking to Martin Cove and invite him over to sleep over with Wolf yeah. Brindley. <laughs> And, uh, it's a very interesting sleepover. Yeah, we should have We should have taped the whole. Sleepover. We should have taped it because it was so. It was so uh, legendary. With that, after they fell asleep, we taped. We, yeah, we t- you, we taped some uh, some wraparounds for the conversations. But Cove was such a nice guy, and we I think we talked about this. At, go listen to the interview. Um, but it, you could tell the camaraderie, the chemistry between the three of them when they were hanging out. Uh, Sweeney and um, at, what's his name, Avelson? <laughs> Zapka. Zapka. And <laughs> <laughs> not the director. I'm sorry. Uh, that they were kind of looking up to Cove. You know, they, you know, they were talking to him about stuff and this other thing, and it was, you know, it was very cool. So, uh, and he seems like you know he was a very nice guy. He lent us you know a whole night to sleep over, 20 minutes to talk to us for the for the interview. <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of it's, it's an example of these movies where I had never known him except for Rambo two or, uh, this movie. And then, you know, he shows up in uh hard time on planet earth in the late eighties. He's in like wider. Uh, I've only now discovering him, uh, in, uh, Cagney and Lacey, but I'm sure like our parents knew him from that. So it's funny when you see these people and you have an idea in your head of, oh, he's the head of the Cobra guy. He's going to be this real yeah, crazy yeah. dick, you know, that you have to, he has to say sweep the leg and all, you know, that it's, it's, you know, so when I ended up taking a picture for it with him, uh, I, I, I get up and, you know, I, and this is all told in the interview, uh, where, uh, he puts his fist up in the first picture. He has his fist up because he's doing the Cobra Kai, and then his his girlfriend who's there is like, no, no, he likes you from Cagney and Lacey. So he's like, oh, so he puts the he puts the fist down and like does a smile. <laughs> so he doesn't have to be the Cobra Kai tough guy, you know. But they're all wearing their like their their jackets, the Cobra Kai jackets. So it was really cool. So I think he plays a brilliant part in here. And then rounding out in in the cast, we said we have Elizabeth Shue who um, is great at the time here, and she's. This is like her first big part. Yeah, and I feel like I I thought she'd be older in the movie, but I guess chronologically she's younger than Machio because if Machio's 22, she's just going into Harvard. She's got to be, what, 19 or 20? Yeah. You know, because for some reason I feel like she, he's younger than her in the movie. You know, like she's an older girl that he's going for because to me, you look at Machio versus the Cobra Kai, the Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. They seem like they're much older. They seem like they're like in their mid 20s. Like it's, you know, <laughs> you know or there's one of those dilemmas. Yeah. Well, it's you not know. as bad as like Christine. No, where the yeah. bully seems like he's 35. Yeah, you have all these. You know, I'm sure you get that a lot with your uh, contractually obligated uh, 21 Jump Street. Yeah, you have a lot of guys who are in their 40s who are playing like <laughs> high schoolers and stuff. So then the plot of the movie is that he keeps getting beat up by these kids and, and, and they really start. I mean, this is, we have an issue now where you have bullying in schools today and i think it's really hard for people i guess you know especially young people now for people our age to to rationalize it like if if we were bullied as a kid at least you'd have some sort of solace or respite when you'd be able to go home and get away from it we're now with cyber bullying in the internet you can be bullied you know online no matter where you are so it's that's a different kind of new world where i have a niece that's 15 and you know she has had issues where, and it's, and it's happens, you know, you can't even get away from it. You're at home and you're having on Instagram or Facebook, you know, people saying stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. so it can get kind of tough. So it's hard, you know, and then you see why that drives 
kids sometimes, you know, to, to take extreme measures as committing suicide or something, yeah. you know, because they can't deal with it. But so, this is a time back in the day when it was just good old fashioned physical abuse. Yeah, exactly. Whether just <laughs> mentally, <laughs> me, mental and physical abuse. And uh, it's a time when nothing would be done about it. Nowadays, if, the, if he got assaulted the way he gets assaulted multiple times, multiple times. The like these guys would be in juvenile. Yeah, you call the police. The, yeah, the, or like, high school. I mean, it's a, the schools are getting involved. Legal matters, you know. And it almost feels like me. Where in the old days, I felt like the 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 mindset was like you kids deal with it yourself. And then like schools or whatever have almost been guilted into having to do something about it because yeah. it's been taken as such an extreme where people are hurt or killed or there's such adverse events. I mean, it does escalate. I mean, we got to move forward here. But it does escalate to the... Um, and we see a little bit that Daniel is now... He's becoming reluctant. You know, he he's hiding out. He's even avoiding Elizabeth's shoe a little bit. He's trying not to... He's He, he is kind of confrontational, Daniel, a little bit. But at, it gets to a point where he's even trying to avoid everything. It's um, good that he's a stand-up guy, though, and he's not kind of he's he's standing up for himself to begin with yeah and then he's getting his ass kicked a couple times and that's when he's kind of avoiding the situation but it's not starting from the thing where he's just you know kind of running away like uh you know yeah he's kind of doing what you're told confront the situation and try to stick up for yourself except these guys are black belts (laughs) yeah there's like five of them yeah uh Another deleted scene, real quick, that's in the novelization is when he's he's buying lunch at the cafeteria for Elizabeth Shue. Uh, there, that scene continues into the cafeteria, and Johnny slips a piece of pie, blueberry, under his like onto his seat so that Daniel sits down on it, and then uh, there's a little confrontation there, and Dan- an- Daniel smears the, the pie onto Johnny. So see, in that there, he's he's not just taking the abuse, he's giving it back. But eventually he decides, he starts to back off a little bit, and And there's around Halloween time. There's another deleted scene as well where there's another school confrontation that's in the novelization where the Daniel and... Yeah. Around a a fountain. Yeah, there's uh, some words. Yeah. (laughs) Exchanged. Yeah. but uh, come around Halloween time, another thing. We got a nice little clock here. We got to be in the school. We got the tournament on December 19th. We got Halloween. Little screen uh, writing device keeping us knowing. Well, see. The how time is uh, passing for the most part. We have kind of get lost after the Halloween thing a little bit. Yeah, we have a timeline where they move there in the summer. September. He's, he starts school with her, and then uh, the, this this abuse is happening, and then we get to Halloween where he, he, he Mr. Miyagi helps him make a costume. Well, he's like, I'm not going to. He doesn't want to go to the dance. Yeah. And the under the under the seat. And I don't even have a I don't even have a costume. And Miyagi's like, Well, if you had a costume, would you go? Yeah. Uh, he's like, he's like if yeah. I was the Invisible Man, maybe I was in the Invisible Man. So then we Invisible get the, Man, we get the <laughs> and then he splinter. Exactly. And then yeah, he makes him this great uh, you know shower, uh, shower which I sure was probably copied for the for the rest of the eighties by people. And then at the end of that scene, he's then beat up. He, he well, plays up. <laughs> I also wonder because I don't remember. There's a scene in the bathroom, which which is what escalates to the to the. To the fight it's at him the end fucking of the scene. With, uh... But Johnny's rolling a joint. And I yeah. kind of wonder, like, as a kid, what did I think Johnny was doing in the bathroom stall? Yeah. Maybe he's rolling a cigarette. You rolling a cigarette, yeah, so, you know. But he's rolling a joint. And then so, and... You think he's taking a shit, but he's rolling a joint. <laughs> uh, escalates to a fight. A chase, big chase, and a fight. 
now they beat the crap out of Daniel. And there's even the one guy who is, I'm assuming is maybe Bobby. Yeah. Because he's the guy at the end that doesn't want to. The rational guy. Yeah, who's like. And he, he's the one also who apologizes on the mat to Daniel. Yeah, I think. So I'm. A, yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell because they're all in costume. Yeah. Uh, Johnny's face. the only one you can tell because he doesn't have the hood up. Yeah. So, uh, but they're all they're all dressed up as skeletons, so you can't really tell who's who. But I'm assuming that it's Bobby because he's the one that doesn't want to hit Daniel in the leg, doesn't want to get disqualified, and then apologizes when Daniel's hurt. Uh, he seems like he's the good guy yeah. <laughs> of the Cobra. Guy. He, he's uh, affected her. Um, but he's like, "Come on, man! Like it's done." Well, and, you, you, and then Johnny's like, "No, no mercy." You know. <laughs> so, Basically, what's going to happen is if. If Miyagi doesn't intervene, like yeah. Johnny's going to kill him. I yeah. mean, it's really, he's done. I mean, he's practically unconscious. Yeah, because he the beats him so bad that he, when they drop him to the ground, he loses consciousness. And then if they're going to do this, like, you know, finish him, this death <laughs> yeah. move, like where I think it's, was it, Miyagi grabs him out of the way? And yeah, then he, he, like, then pushes he pushes him out of the way and he ends up kicking, kicking the, the fence. fence. He like drops he does, like, kicks a the jump fence. Side, you know, a jump kick. Yeah, into the fence. I mean, he were really, I mean, that. I, this is the, the point where like, why wouldn't, that's pretty fucked up at that yeah. point. You know, that's getting in some crazy well, that's shit. That's the thing is that you don't really think about because it, it doesn't go there. But like, if you really step back and you look at the situation, this like no mercy, this the what's being drilled into them uh, by Crease is like he's he very well could kill Daniel in that yeah. scene if Miyagi doesn't intervene. And I think at it, the very least, you know could put him in a coma, brain damage, whatever. Yeah. Like they're just he wants to keep on beating him. And until it, like what's gonna stop him if if him being unconscious like practically unconscious is already not not the end point of the fight like when's it gonna end and Chris seems very unapologetic by it because in I think in the following scene if it had gone that way he would be like well it was a fight you know he, yeah. he would have said so Miyagi intervenes kicks the shit out of him they say that that uh, the the stunt man who did the the double for for um, Marita Marita in these in the movie he used his own students in the scene. And uh, it went so quickly. They say it's one of the fastest fights in cinema history because it's so quick. Yeah, I will say, flash forward a bunch of years, they remade Karate Kid. I heard with uh, I have heard Jaden. Yeah, Smith, Jade Smith, and uh, Jackie Chan. But Jackie Chan plays the Mr. Miyagi part. I saw this at the movies, and I will say, <clears throat> I fully recognize that what worked about the movie for me was playing on my heartstrings. From this. Yeah. Like, I was emotionally connected. For that movie. Yeah, I was emotionally connected to the remake as I watched it because of the way I feel about this movie. And so when the beats came, it was working for me because of this, like, predisposition. How is the structure? Is it similar to this? It's pretty similar, except for the kids are a lot younger. Yeah. And obviously, like, World War II and stuff isn't an option because it's current day. So Mr. Miyagi's breakdown scene and motivations are different but i will say the weirdest part of the movie is this scene this fight scene in the new one because the kids are so much younger and jackie chan is beating the shit out of yeah him. now because jackie chan already has like a cinematic fighting style of beating having people beat themselves up kind of yeah you know in, in the way that jackie chan does that's kind of the way it is like he doesn't actually I don't, to my recollection, I haven't seen it since it was in the movie theater. Doesn't actually like beat them up. You know, it's more like he kind of 
positions them to be themselves <laughs> kind of thing or uses like a form of Aikido where he's yeah, using their yeah. own force against them um, you know or objects you know the way Jackie Chan you imagine a Jackie Chan fight that's the way it kind of happened but it is weird because he is kind of he was like a guy who's Jackie Chan is probably in his 50s I mean oh, this I was seven years ago but this was seven years okay. ago um you know, fighting a bunch of like thirteen-year-old kids. <laughs> well, does it play better? Does it does it play better to have the younger kids? Like, if they made this movie and they had like kids who were like the Goonies' age, do you think it plays better as a younger, or do you think it, you like it in the high school? Or... I like it in the high school. Uh, I like the the way it is in this movie. Yeah, I, I don't. It's a whole other thing because it's also like the kids not moving from East Coast to West Coast. He's moving from America to like. China or Japan yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. So he's it's a real fish out of water. Story. And who plays the the crease character? Or is there, I don't is know. there a crease character? Yeah, there is. I I don't know. I don't remember it being anybody of specific. Is he is he an Asian no. or, or yeah? Everybody's yeah. Okay. Asian. I mean, he's not an American. Takes place in yeah, like China or whatever. But uh, and if I'm wrong, I I apologize. It's been seven years <laughs> since I've seen yeah, the yeah. movie. Uh, I do remember that scene. A Jackie Chan's breakdown scene, which we'll get to uh, Pat Morita's scene here, is Jackie Chan's very good in that scene. Those are like the two things that I remember most from the movie is Jackie Chan beating up a bunch of little kids and then Jackie Chan having his drunk crying scene and the motivations of Miyagi are different. Those are the only two scenes I really remember from the remake um this is both of us a long way around to, to set up this timeline so after that scene marita takes him home rests him up and then he, he convinces yeah. him to go and confront uh cobra kai yeah. so we're thinking about now the scene but about the scene where this is a good time to kind of introduce this the scene where daniel wakes up and he's like where did that spider-man go and he's like well, yeah. you know that scene between one thing that you don't notice because it's done so brilliantly in this movie, it's not like today when you watch a movie that has an extended long take or it seems very visual, uh, very apparent now when you watch stuff like that. Usually because it's an action scene and it's like everything happens in one take. It seems more evident. This movie is full of really long one shot scenes. Yeah. Uh, which they're blocked and executed so well that it's seamless which is the way it really should yeah. be i mean editing, I noticed that with um, editing stuff should not be it should be invisible you know the first time you see it is when they first move in the apartment and he leaves his apartment to go down and find mr miyagi and he asks the woman from uh in the, the mouth, mouth of madness, madness. Yeah. <laughs> you know like where's the where's the guy that was the handyman she's like, you walk down there take a left he's a like, go here take a right no take a left and then he walks all that's one take uh, there's a, several of these scenes, and this this scene being another one where he wakes up, and Miyagi, it's like the tea scene. Miyagi puts the, it's uh, where we introduce the handkerchief or the bandana thing, um, and he makes tea, and they have this dialogue scene. All that that whole entire scene is one shot. Yeah, no cuts. Uh, this happens a lot in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I noticed that when he threw his bike away and then he's yelling at his mom outside of Mr. Yeah. Miyagi's little flat and then they leave and then the camera pulls back and Mr. And Miyagi, Miyagi comes, comes out, out and it's like, yeah. mm. <laughs> yeah. and it goes like, like if, if Pat Rita like sneezed or <laughs> tripped, <laughs> tripped coming out of the doorway yeah. or something. <laughs> we got to do the whole thing again. Uh, but yeah, this is another one of those scenes. So if next time you watch it, just pay attention because it's beautiful filmmaking. Um, very pure, obviously, a very pure... 
a almost theatrical way yeah. as, as opposed to cinematic. Everything's kind of one taken. It's a, a testament to the entire crew, but also the cast that uh, Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita are so dialed in chemistry-wise to each other that they can do like these five, seven-minute yeah. scenes. And that's the hardest all thing. All in one take. A lot of times in cinema, they talk about that that doing it like a play is very hard. James Stewart in Hitchcock's Rope talks about that was the hardest movie he ever did because if anybody would mess up, you'd have to do the entire thing again. And it's, you know, you have camera setups, cameras have to hit marks, actors have to hit their marks, everything has to be, you know. And like you're saying, a lot of times you don't, if it's, if it's blocked effectively, you don't even realize yeah. there's no cut because, you know, people in the foreground. Yeah, they, yeah. And then if the, if the shot composition changes so much. Well, I think it's very much an Ableton thing, too. I've often said, like, my one of my favorite shots in Rocky, my favorite moments in Rocky is when he is after Mick comes to see him at the apartment, wants to be his manager. And then Rocky goes into the bathroom, and then Mick leaves, and then Rocky's yelling. Goes, yeah. You want to You come in here. You know, it's the one time when Rocky kind of explodes, and we, see, as an audience, see how Rocky feels for the first time. Um, but then Mick leaves and walks down the street yeah. towards the elevated train. And then we see Rocky come out. Super long shot. Runs up to Mick. There's an exchange. Uh, and it's all body language. Yeah. It's all one beautiful composition, one shot. In the distance, we don't hear what's happening. We're just seeing what's happening via body language, but we know what's happening as an audience. Nowadays, there'd be a million cuts. I think Avilton likes to let things play out, and that way I feel like he's probably very much an actor's director. Yeah. Like, let the acting tell the story. It's almost for two a little more believable. Because if you let a whole scene play out and yeah. there's not a cut, you don't realize you get a little more roped in. You know, it's it's a, a little yeah, more yeah. like like a in a scene between two actors, they can get up their emotions they need to hit yeah, within the yeah. scene, the beats and the points. But the, there wasn't something, I, maybe I have noticed it in the past, but and just forgotten that I've noticed it. But watching it this time around, I noticed there's a there's a few of there's like a handful of these extended long yeah. shots that are really. Well done, and like I said, like invisible, like you don't even notice it because it's so br- such brilliant filmmaking. So that scene when he introduces the idea of like you should go talk to their teacher to put an end to this, and and Daniel's like, oh well, thanks a lot. You're not even going to help me now. You want me to go do this, but you're not even going to help me. Intro the next scene. So this is when Miyagi goes to now. Do you Cobra think Kai. the Halloween dance took place on Halloween? Halloween night? We're, uh, we're I, don't assuming... if, I don't know if it was Halloween night. But okay, it was so I was going to say, on a side note, we could have used that as one of our October casts. <laughs> but, yes, damn it. We uh, should have saved it for October. The, re- the reason we keep coming way, back to I this... I love the black Spider-Man that comes out of the bathroom after. Yeah. He's got, like, the underoos on, and he's got, like, just the blue hood. and like, The African-American. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you meant, like, black costume. Like, <laughs> no, black no, no, no. Not, not, like, symbiote suit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, the black kid. And it's funny. He's like, hey, Johnny. What's going on, Johnny? Uh, so I'm going to assume maybe it's, you know, if, if he's been laid up, maybe this is November 1st and you're getting a clock where Miyagi's like, we're going to fucking fight it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like December 19th. A yeah. A month and a half to train, to Daniel. train Daniel. And you know, who knows if you talk to people who are, you know, fifth or sixth degree black belts and they're like, that's poppycock. That can't be happened. But Hey, Mr. Miyagi's that good of a teacher. Maybe he can't. So, I mean, according to Miyagi, the Miyagi's are the ones that created karate. Yeah. His ancestry. It's ancestry. So, it was originally called like Tay. Yeah. And then it's, <laughs> and then they came to China. Fist to Okinawa. Hand. 
you know. And, and then when it came to Okinawa, the Miyagi's got a hold of it and added the kara, which is empty hand. Yeah, karate, you know. And uh, people all know the connection with Okinawa to World War II, hopefully. Uh, it's an island off of Japan. So at some point, I guess the Miyagi's had to have left. I don't see. I don't remember. Um, Miyagi's uh, lead. Well, Karate Kid 2 as well, because I probably haven't seen it since the theater, but there was a lot of well, fighting Miyagi, on yeah, yeah. Okinawa Miyagi the war. leaves. I mean, there's actually more that I want to talk about when we have Miyagi's drunks. Yeah. So we could talk more about Miyagi coming to America. Yeah, because when there's also... Get, when we get to that scene. Yeah, there's, there's a lot should, to, we, there's d- a lot d- to yeah, talk about there. To talk about. So he, they go to the Cobra Kai. Cove is a badass. Cove beats up the a kid in front of everybody just to show. Go give the kid 60 push-ups. He's ruthless. Yeah, yeah. And then Mr. Miyagi's like, you know, we're going to set up a challenge. He's gonna, yeah. he's I like, love Cove in that scene. Though. You know, he's like, what does he say? Like, you're a pushy little bastard. <laughs> like but I like that. Yeah, exactly. But I like that. And then, and then he even threatens him. He's like, uh, if he if, if you don't show up, he's like, it's open season on him and you. <laughs> and then Mr. Miyagi's looking at him and then I like Mr. Miyagi does backs the, out. Yeah, backs out like you would. Always, always, I, keep always, like, always look at his Bruce eyes. Lee told, taught us anything, it's like a finger <laughs> looking at the moon. But yeah, he backs out, pushes Daniel but he walks because yeah. he's always you always got eye contact. Even when you bow. Uh, and then they leave. There's a little back and forth, uh, a little tidbit about that scene is they didn't stop traffic, so they're actually dodging traffic when they're crossing the street. And he's like, no, I'm going to teach you. And, and Well, then, again, another, speaking of the coming out of the dojo, that whole dinner scene with Daniel and his mother, that's all like one take yeah, two because then, we see the Cobra Kai come out. It's a great take. It's a great- In the background uh, through the window. Another great example of of, of staging and, and, and just having your, uh, your frame composition well yeah. because, and also timing because you have the two of them talking. You're, you're, you're looking right through, and anybody that'll direct your eye past them to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. You realize it's the Cobra Kai. There's all this back and forth. One guy leaves, sees us them. He runs back to tell the kid, and it looks like they're going to do something, but he's like, no, we'll wait till later. And then as soon as they all start running away, the mom says, oh, who are they? And what's going on with the crew? So it, like, it all yeah, timed yeah, well. Yeah. you know. And then later it's on... really you know, some impressive filmmaking going on. And I'm surprised movie. that they're not... Um, you know, the mother isn't more taking a stand at this, like, you know, because uh, yeah. she seems like such a character that would, like, go to their house or yeah. she'd go tell off Martin Cove and then you, we'd have a weird 80s sitcom where she falls in love with Martin <laughs> Cove and, you know, Crease and her, the mom and then he's the stepdad. It's it's really odd and uncomfortable. So then it starts this clock of he's got to learn uh, karate by the end of the, by, the, by Christmas because, uh, you know, he's going to be inducted in this tournament. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. It does kind of there's kind of moves at a clip until we get to the deal, which is I'll teach you karate, and you the deal is you learn <laughs> and you learn it yes. without asking any questions. And this was becomes a very a brilliant plot device uh, by Robert Mark Kamen here, who was grew up uh, in martial arts, was a big martial arts guy. Um, now they say Weintrap had the idea for the movie because he he had just heard in '83 a news report about a wimpy kid who had learned karate to or martial art to stop a bully, mm-hmm. and then um, Kamen talks about he wanted his story of the hero to be a wimp with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And then that's how he ends up writing this this you know really great like you're saying just a really it's a classic now. Yeah, yeah. You know, this this story. It's a you know, wonderful. Uh, story, but uh, it's a, you know, it's 
it's like an archetype of this kind of story. You know, it's definitely, it's like it's its own genre. It hits all the beats that these kind of movies hit, but it does it so well that it doesn't seem redundant yeah. and old. Uh, even today when you watch it, sure, it's very 80s. There's a lot of, there's the arcade, but but it does hold up and is not as hokey or campy as a lot of the no. stuff from the 80s. Even mm-hmm. when we watch The Lost Boys, that's way more... Uh, a product 80s, of this time. 80s yeah. camp. The only thing I is. saw about this, it's a little slower than I remember it at certain points. But certainly, it's not dated as you as you just uh, yeah. illustrated. And as well, it's it's kind of a story that transcends that you forget the cultural impact because when this movie came out in 85, I mean, they did a short-lived uh, animated TV show with this. This spawned, what, three or four sequels and a remake. But it was, like, huge. Wax on, wax off was just as big as <laughs> yeah, Rambo yeah. or, you know, I'll be back or I'll and come for you. And it's also funny that that's, the, that's, like, the one... Make your day. That's, like, the one training thing that stuck was the wax on. Yeah, because everything else, not paint... Well, not paint <laughs> sand the floor. Sand the floor. Paint, paint the side fence. Side, paint up the down. Paint the house. So, I mean, here's the brilliant, here's the kind of the brilliant device by Cayman is like, we're going to teach Daniel and the audience karate without them knowing it. Yeah. Through repetition. It's through repetition, but it's also to uh, toughen the body. Yeah. And Daniel. I mean, it's getting Daniel to work these muscles that he's going to need. It's not just teach him karate. It's physically preparing him like the... You know, he's using muscles that he's never had to use before. He's also, by not telling him and just making him work and not saying this is like, you're doing this for this, it's conditioning him to be able to take punishment. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> In if- a way that like, and it's also probably tradition. This is probably how Miyagi had to learn it. I wonder if it's it is is it a revelation you think on the first viewing that like oh he's been learning moves the whole time when was the that I don't film know. goer that ignorant to be like why is he painting the fucking guy's house? <laughs> this fucking guy's you have to do I all think his chores. probably an inclination, but I think even if you kind of suspect that that's happening, I I still think that the revelation the payoff is the very revelatory good. scene yeah. where Miyagi fucking he like nice guy Miyagi goes away and Miyagi <laughs> sensei <laughs> yeah. you know like no like no you know blah, 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 paint the fence no you know like it, it, he's he goes to sit down no stand up stand up yeah he no yeah. stand you know uh, the hard ass Miyagi yeah. shows up it's well like, this is it's I feel like that scene probably still even if you I mean even knowing it it still has an impact for yeah. me when I watch it. It literally gives me goosebumps. I know. I, I saw and all your hairs were standing up. There was I mean there were scenes in this there were scenes watching at this time that affected me uh maybe not full out tears but like almost. Yeah. Like I totally didn't. But it's all like the Miyagi Daniel relationship. It's the bonsai tree scene. Yeah. It's all like seeing because of knowing what's going to happen. You know, like seeing this friendship and this mentorship kind of grow, I got very. I was I was very emotional watching it this time around. Uh, it's it's beautiful, but the device of having Daniel learn all this stuff it's really great. Well, I mean, it's really what makes the movie so fucking memorable. Like it, you said, wax on, wax off is you know maybe kids less than thirteen now might not know it but i bet you like most people if you went out and you just on the street and you were just like wax on wax off 
people would fucking say like, oh, yeah, fuck Karate Kid. Yeah. I know what you're talking well, about. Well, I don't know. I wonder if it'd be old. I would say peg him a little older, but I completely agree I, but with I you. But I think that... Because of the remake? The remake, and I think especially our listeners... Yeah, it's our, a, oh, people who are showing yeah, yeah. it to their kids. Um, and also, this is something very, even though it was a Western person, uh, you know, who wrote the movie, that this is very much a traditional way of, I remember watching a really good documentary on becoming a sumo wrestler. And this is a tradition that you have to do, like in a dojo where they're, where you are, uh, hopefully be, want to become a, any kind of a sumo wrestler or just great bigger martial arts. These are things where... You know, you may just for a year be an apprentice and not, do, you know, just clean the dojo. Yeah, yeah. You know, or just, you know, you're just doing, you know, you're cleaning the place like as a, in a janitorial role. And that's, and it's almost becomes like a lifestyle, certainly with a lot of Japanese arts. Sure. Karate has kind of turned into this thing where like, you'll have a black belt in a year, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of these other things were, you know, or if you become fully immersed in it, it's it becomes a way of life. Yeah, yeah. And well, the black, the idea of the belts, I think, is an Americanized thing yeah because even in aikido we didn't have belts we had degrees it's, it's different you know it's it became uh to set goals to have yeah. motivation for like to get to yeah fucking american kids to yeah want to blue green red and then, <laughs> and then you get the black you're black but even here yeah so you have that where you you to learn something as grandiose as a sumo wrestler or karate you would become an apprentice and you do low level work this kind of you know and that would very easily and very quickly re weed out yeah. people who weren't interested and uh that's a thing where i think marita says at some point he goes you know he taught makes the analogy about left or right you can be good on either side you don't do it you don't do it you can't have middle of the road yeah yeah you have to commit either either not wanting to do it or you want to do it yeah and then you and know then that's another you go in the middle kick. you know so and that's a very good analogy there for you know where you can't just be on the fence with stuff no especially with a month and a half to become yeah. a martial arts and <laughs> luckily the, the, his mom's completely okay with him you know we assume yeah all this time where she's like where the fuck <laughs> is he you know she can't she can't make the because we do, the, the the world doesn't know that she doesn't have a job well, the funny thing is i mean just jump ahead a second just to have like that kind of uh just to make a correlation to that when he has his birthday ahead of time we're going to come back but when he has his birthday party with Miyaki, he's like oh fuck i'm supposed to go see my mom and he doesn't even go see her and then he doesn't go see her he gets his car he goes to golf instead yeah he goes golfing with with uh, (laughs) yeah so his mom she's like like crying at home like what's happened to my son (laughs) those kids are taking off and then then it's even funnier that if we're on this um speculation that she doesn't know what he's doing just say and then she gets invited to this karate tournament and there's those scenes I, my eyes kept going to her where she kept saying like you know she's not miked yeah, but yeah. when he's getting his ass handed to him on by these cobra kai guys doing all this uh under the under the hands shit and she's like oh <laughs> what is going on <laughs> my son's getting this <laughs> this knee he's never gonna walk again right you know it's like you know miyagi stop this and miyagi's ignoring her you know he's like oh, he'll be fine you know uh so uh they start this training where you yeah. know, like you're saying you know, he he has a bigger house he's not just living in this little uh you know yeah you know, like little yeah, little work like room in the, in the doesn't for have the, just have a cot the maintenance now. man. You know, I don't know how good of a maintenance man he is because he he needs to fix that pool, get that pool work. The pool, you know, he's like, I'll fix the your faucet after. I play with the fixed, flies. He fixes it like three years. <laughs> yeah, <he's, laughs> like three days later, he comes to fix the you faucet. Know, and it, that's certainly a, a a real thing for some people. I had that happen when um uh, you know with with supers, you know that, that it sometimes is really, really hard to deal with. So he starts teaching. He has another house. Uh, we don't learn. He's he's living like you know on an old 
oil with a derrick. Maybe it's gone dry. Yeah, yeah. Bought the prop. Lovely house. He's got all these we don't, beautiful yard. We don't really see why he has the cars. I mean, it's and that's a funny, you know, where Where'd they come you get from? All these Detroit. Cars? <laughs> you get, where do all these cars come from? Yeah, and uh, we don't know how he's acquired them over the years or what where his source of revenue is, if he's just making money on the side. But um, so, and then, you know, we have the, uh, what's his face? It's, uh, Machio's getting a little more upset by, you know, he's trying to get a little yeah, shoe. Well, he washes the cars. No questions asked. He sands the floor. Yeah. No questions asked. He paints the fence. He's happy that he's finished. He's got to go home early. Yeah. Both sides. Ah, for fuck's sake. And he goes. Uh, but but then a, finally, the last straw was paint the house. And he's also getting an issue with, like, a, he's still dealing with the Cobra Kai kids. There's a deadline. Elizabeth's shoes, he thought was acting a little dodgy. I loved in this movie, as in every movie in cinema history. I mean, I worked in the uh, restaurant business for a couple of years. And it's hilarious in all these movies that no one's ever questioned when they're walking through, like, a restaurant kitchen. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's, like, you know, kids walking by. Everyone's just like, no one's like, who the fuck is this guy? You know? <laughs> and it's all, every movie you see, everyone's able to just go through that kitchen, yeah, go in the back way you know it was funny because that's what happened to me last night you, you went through <laughs> I, I was at birdland in new york city jazz club uh helping a, uh, a friend of ours um who's a jazz musician i was i was filming a show so i was like running all over the place i was going through the kitchen to get to the sound room nobody questioned it you but do, do you think they were told i don't think the kitchen was that's how, so maybe that is true then i mean you know that, they, that you won't be uh you know, it's the kind of thing where you watch videos of, like, somebody shoplifting. Yeah. And they walk out of, like, a Walmart with a canoe. Yeah. And you're like, how the fuck did that happen? And they just walk out with it. Because it's like, it was like, if you just walk through it. If you it, have the, it's the, yeah, it's the, it's the, um, if you have the confidence in yourself. Yeah, you, you just know, exu- walk out. Nobody assumes anything's wrong. Because you seem like you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So. Uh, and also, Daniel's dressed like a. Like, yeah, he looks like a waiter. He's, in a he's like a waiter or like a the bellhop or something. So, like he's getting, you she know, was like playing the, a little the car. Uh, the, oh, oh the, with, yeah. The uh, if you're the uh, valet, he looks like he's got like a white white clothes and like a red. jacket. That would have been a funny the, joke if he's waiting outside and someone's like, "Point it." It's licensed to drive the Cadillac, you know. <laughs> but uh, he, um, so she's doing a little dirty double deal in here. Where Elizabeth Shoes evidently made a uh, a deal to to see him later on. But he, she's like, oh, dad, what time is it? I got to go. Yeah. And her dad's a little bit of a douche. We have, a, we get a little bit of a uh, hint of a class system Some here. douchery happening. Yeah, because um, El you Douchebag. You're from Marcita again, Yeah, because we're from Encino. And, uh, you know, the, early in the movie the that the uh, the mom comes. It's funny, because when you watch Encino, man, like, yeah, it doesn't seem like that well to do. Yeah, but I guess <laughs> maybe that much of a change in 10 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you have the you know the, he doesn't have his own car. Mom has to come pick him up in the in the beat up station wagon. Yeah, they come up in a freaking like so mom Rolls Royce, like you know. And, and hey, how are you? Yeah. Another one. How Hi. are you? And then the car will start. Think I reason why I like this. I because like it's so this much movie. your mom. This is my mom, you know. <laughs> his mom really seems so much like my mom. And it's me. another. It's a thing too when they jump in the car. It's one of those days where everyone gets into the front seat because it's one of those yeah, uh, no seat belts. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big booth, a big uh, big one seat bench, booth, yeah. bench seat. Yeah, so when you take the turns really hard, you'll slide around, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that was a thing back then. There's so many things. And uh, I know we're pressed for time. I know. Yeah, I don't want to keep st- stopping it down, but I watch these shows, and you probably watch these too, like, say, 80 shows. And it's funny when you see in a show them, a police show, say, they go into a bar, and a bar is playing jazz. And I see that even up until the 80s, and you wonder, like, what at what point did these sh- these places stop playing 
because you know you can it, you're hard pressed now to walk into a bar and have like jazz on you're gonna have like yeah. rock or whatever so it's like these like is it or when people stop wearing suits is it like when the generation dies off and people stop wearing sets and hats and this thing here with the cars like everyone just you know like it's nobody's business everyone just jumps into the they don't go into the back seat they all just pile into the front seat yeah, yeah. you know and nowadays you'd never get that i mean you're hard pressed to find a car that has a bench seat of course yeah yeah but it's it's funny that like back then yeah was the know, airbags probably the airbags did it that's true, yeah, and also that yeah they stop you, yeah, because you don't want anybody hitting the center column. Well, you can't even have like a kid above whatever age right in the front seat. Yeah, anymore. back in the old days, jeez, I'd be in the front seat. I don't even have this seatbelt. My dad yeah. throwing the arm out for yeah, a stop when you're stopping. Stop short, yeah, because you're. Uh, <laughs> my dad still does that. Yeah, I do that to people too. I mean, it's like the you know you're going to get destroyed on the uh, on the dashboard of one of those kind of cars, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so it's just funny that so they do that. Uh, Elizabeth Shue seems completely fine with everything, even when Machio starts giving her a little a hard time about like you know you can leave if you want it with your friends. Oh, uh, well, there's you know. the that's the I had a note. You know, it's he walks out. He's like, "This is the best night I've had since I got here. Yeah. Perfect night. It's a great night." Until and then Yo! Johnny and the guys yeah. show up, and, and he's got a car that says, "What is it? She, so cool." She seems yeah. She doesn't care. But Machio has a little bit of a he's inferiority a complex, yeah. and he's like, "Well, you know, you could go if you want." And he's like, "Well, I don't want to go." It's the it's the dude who um, from Adventures of Babysitting. What's his bumper sticker? Or his oh yeah, yeah, too yeah, cool. Yeah. Stay cool. Be cool. <laughs> you know. He's, so she, yeah, he. Mach, I will say, as much as I love Daniel, when it comes to Elizabeth Shue's character, what's her name in this uh, movie? Allie with an I. Yeah. Uh, hey, Allie with an I. <laughs> I'm Daniel with an L. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Andrew Dice play. play, play. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he, I mean, I understandably so, but he's. It's a pride he, thing. But he, and then he feels lesser or whatever. But he is a little bit of a douche when it comes to her a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you don't. Yeah, I never feel like she's being unreasonable. No, I mean, how I, she reacts when she's cold to him because I, he's being kind of a douchebag. Yeah, I mean, as I said at the beginning, I do think she was she was really pursuing him. She's one that kind of necessitates the relationship. Thank God, because it would have been, I think, harder for him to to, <laughs> yeah. to approach her if she was uninterested. In a lot of other movies, you'll see that that part of a subplot is he has to win her. Where this one, she's like, "Oh, I'm completely into you," but he is kind of like, you know, I mean, maybe that goes into the. I understand it, and honestly, I probably would have been the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> especially at that age. And, and it, but you do kind of be like Ralph. Just get you're like Daniel. Just get your head out of your ass, man. Like she digs you. She doesn't care about fucking Johnny. She doesn't care that you're living in Reseda in some motel. <laughs> yeah, with, with your mom in the station wagon and stuff. I mean, it, and it maybe goes into that point where they have years later. There's that conspiracy theory where uh, Daniel's actually the bully. Which is kind of debunked because when you watch the, there's a really famous montage of whoever did it, put it together. Yeah, yeah. And in, in it's voiceover of why, the examples of why he's the bully. And in that, I believe it. But then when I watch the movie, it's like, yeah, he wasn't yeah. the bully with the radio. I mean, okay, uh, what's his face turns the radio off? I've done that when I'm pissed. Uh, you shouldn't. But he does take the radio away. Yeah, uh, yeah. He shouldn't do that. And I mean, then he throws the fucking radio down. And over and it. He break, well, he breaks it first. Does he step on it or break? And then afterward, he drives over it. So clearly, I don't think... Daniel's the bully uh, Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the this, for anybody who doesn't know, there's like this YouTube video or whatever where somebody has re-edited it, taken scenes from the movie and shown that Daniel's really the bully, not Johnny. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you really look at villains and you, under, and you look at like the psychology of villains from any 
standpoint, any movie, any story, the villains don't know they're the villain. No. In the villain's mind, they're the hero. In Johnny's mind, and even Zapka says this when he played Johnny, he, to him, Daniel was the bad guy. Here's this new kid, comes, tries to take his girlfriend, <laughs> you know, and that's how he played it because yeah. that's that's the reality. And he like, talks nobody a- really sees themselves as the bad guy. Yeah, and he talks about on the director's commentary uh, specifically that he, he thinks of his character of not having a father, never had a father, uh, and that's the reason why he so embraces Kreese's character. Cobra Kai is that he that becomes the surrogate dad yeah. kind of that relationship there you know so yeah he doesn't really th- those are kind of like the best villains that don't know that they're villains yeah yeah you know they, they and that's how I think a lot of actors they believe their cause yeah is, is the one that's right and that's how a lot of times you get the best performances out of actors playing villains because yeah. they play the villain as if they're playing it With straight c- conviction yeah you don't like know this is you know, I'm I'm doing this for the good. Yeah. So she evidently was pretty high into with him. I mean, the pa- the parents know him. The parents are trying to set her, her up with him. Yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, kids cover your ears if she's already not already you know gone to bed with been him. Been deflowered. Yeah, by, by Johnny. By Johnny. Oh, Johnny! It's like that killer <laughs> song. You know. Uh, so we get to the point where so Machio's waiting for her outside. He, he she's not coming, so he, he goes through the kitchen. He sees them dancing. He gets pissed. Johnny sees that he sees. Yeah. So he kisses her, and then Jesus, and then all all and then all, spaghetti. Albums. Then spaghetti. 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 Spaghetti incident. Yeah, from the GNR album, and then he's he's and then every then it turns into like a dream sequence. Everyone's like ah. <laughs> Fish eye lenses. Yeah, even the, yeah, it's all very close. <laughs> <laughs> even the Raiders like, oh, you know, Mister Miyagi comes like, oh, 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 so like you know, he's completely petrified. He runs away, and is that that's the night where he goes home. He goes to Miyagi's, and, and this is he's where looking we, for sympathy, and then he's like, and oh. there's this is where we get the scene that pretty much got Marita nominated, which they originally they didn't they were thinking of keeping out. Studio wanted to cut it because they thought it brought the movie to like a halt, a grinding halt. But, yeah. uh, and it does, but it, it does, need it. but I think it needs it. Yeah, you need to have that. It's the it's the real tear jerking scene. In a nutshell, scene. we're kind of, we got a lot to cover and little time to do it in. But in a nutshell, he shows up, Marita's, uh, Miyagi's drunk, he's got his military uniform on, he's got his picture of his wife out, uh, it's his anniversary. Daniel shows up to this scene, doesn't really know what's happening, Miyagi wants Daniel to have a drink with him. Uh, and basically we find out that Miyagi fought in World War II. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of history. The Miyagi fought in the 442nd. Yeah. Which is the highest Yeah, they awarded. were... The or the regiment of the t- or infantry at the time that the, the was made up of um, of Japanese Americans. Americans, and I think they fought in the Mostly European in the theater. Europe, yeah, and uh, probably because they didn't want them if in the Pacific theater either because they were worried about if they were captured or if you worried about our soldiers mistaking them. But they went and fought the Germans uh, in the European theater, and they were uh, cited as being the they they're like you said the most awarded for their size. Of the regiment and for the length that they were in service, they were the most decorated regiment. This is real life. We're yes, about. Yeah, we're talking about. Not, so this is they're taking a little bit of history and, and putting Miyagi. He's part of this, this into uh, this piece of history, yeah. and that's why when he pulls when he uh, Daniel's going through his stuff and sees the Medal of Valor, Medal uh, of Valor. This is 
taking a little piece out of history that basically what we get is, you know, he shows Miyagi shows Daniel a picture of his wife pregnant, that this was going to be the first Miyagi born on American soil. So we get the idea that Miyagi came to America with the American dream, had a wife, going to give his unborn son a uh, a new life in America. World War II happens. Miyagi does what any what a lot of immigrants that came to America very proud to be Americans would yeah. have done. They're horrified, is, so they join the service. Which is join the American army to protect the country yeah. that they came here to, you know. You had Italians and is, Germans doing I, that You know, well. unfortunately, especially now, but uh, a lot of American-born Americans kind of take for granted you know, and you get the immigrate the immigrants that come here, that really appreciate yeah. <laughs> America and, and and work to become an American citizen. Well, because you have entire generations, maybe two or three generations, who have never fought, never had to have the hardship of a yeah. war or hardship of living somewhere else. Yeah, and and uh, and then having to come here. So a little bit of history, we learn that Miyagi fought in this much celebrated and decorated uh, regiment in. World War II. While in World War II, he gets a letter that says that because of complications in childbirth, Miyagi's wife and son die. Which was a real thing back then to literally probably the 60s or 70s. It was a real, uh, you know, there was a real shot. You're not only your your child, but the wife could die in childbirth, you know, and especially over prior to the 20th century. I mean, in England and in, in Europe, you know, you had like a one, you had a 50-50 shot of dying in childbirth back then. It's, yeah, it's yeah. horrifying. So like I mean, you even say, my mom says even, I mean, I'm not going to get my mom's personal stuff, but in essence, like from the five years from when my brother was born to when I was born, the idea that you would have a somebody, a kid in your when you're 30 yeah. was like unheard of. Yeah. So when she got pregnant with me, it was worrisome. She went to the doctor and was like... Yeah, and the doctor says, "Don't worry about it. like five years ago, like we didn't, it, we were worried about that. But now, like even you know, yeah. like, like shit changes. Medical fast. technology, medical technology, yeah. medical knowledge, everything changes. But so yeah, back in fucking World War Two, yeah, uh, you know, this happened way more often, uh, and so we get the sense that maybe once a year, fucking Miyagi lets loose, yeah." Down to bottle drunk of whiskey and, then, yeah. and, you know, sings the blues. Yeah. Uh, v- extremely touching scene. Marita's great in it. Uh, Machio's great in it. And it would have been a crying shame to cut this scene out because this is maybe the most important scene for Daniel, for the character of Daniel. Because this is the moment where, like most teenagers and young adults uh we i think most of us at that age i know i was pretty self-absorbed it's hard to see outside of yourself daniel's this is the first instance where daniel sees that at least in this movie in this original script we see that daniel's knows that his mom's having trouble but it's also through like the selfish lens of daniel of like you're not even here to do what you wanted to do. Why can't we just go home kind of thing? But this is where Daniel's like realizes that his issues are not the only issues. Like there's this whole other, everybody's got their shit fucking the hardship that Marita has been through. Yeah. <laughs> outweighs being bullied at school. Yeah. A million times old, you know, over. 
And so it's well, it, it's the 50th anniversary because I think this happens in 44. His wife dies. Yeah. So, so he's hitting the 50 50 years without his without his girl or his son. You know. When in reality, Marita's like 51. When yeah, he's. Pl- I think he's playing it. He has to be playing it. To me, he looks unrealistic to fight, fight in World War II. Maybe he's playing 10 years older because then that yeah, would, yeah. the math would be right because then he'd be. Relations. Young. You know, they age yeah. well. <laughs> and, you know, and back then you could have, he could have been married with her at 16, 17 and yeah, he yeah. could have been 18 when this happened. Yeah. So it's, that's realistic in a sense. So it's just, it's a really important scene. Like you said, this is where Daniel realizes it's basically where this is a coming of age story. And this scene is where Daniel comes of age. This is where, this is the scene where Daniel goes from boy to man. Yeah. Not only does he find that his shit's not the most important shit but he also becomes in this scene the caretaker whereas Miyagi's been taking care of him the whole time not in not in the same way but he puts Miyagi to bed very gently puts his head on oh it mirrors what when he when Miyagi had to pick him up after he got true true it's a little bit of he's becoming yeah the father figure in this scene he reads about the valor. He he and he, he starts reads to, the letter. He reads the letter. He sees that there's an entire lifetime of Miyagi that he doesn't know anything about. Yeah, that there's depth. There's pain. It also explains away why Miyagi may right now be doing some sort of minimal job as just a, a, the super at a motel complex or apartment complex, not caring because yeah. a lot of people who lose the love of their life. After that, they may not, you know, there's a little big psyche of people who say, I'll never find someone else again, so why bother? And he learned something about Miyagi that he never knew before, and it ends with him bowing. Yeah. Which is very touching. Uh, and then, to signify it, <clears throat> we have probably the most beautiful piece of music in the movie. Fucking launches in. And we have the training montage. Yeah. Yes, Miyagi comes in at the end of the training montage, but to like show that now Daniel is a man, a large part of the beginning of that montage is Daniel training alone. He's taking it upon himself to train for this. Yeah. He's stepping up to the plate. He's becoming his own man. He's Beautiful on the photography. His, his yeah. He's on the boat with the sun setting. Yeah. Uh, the score is absolutely gorgeous well a lot of the shots they got were like almost serendipitous like where they're on the edge of that lake and it's a a great move with it looks like they're on a crane or a jib because when he's calling um miyagi's calling drills for daniel and it's like it's dusk yeah and the camera kind of like booms up uh you know into the sky and then you get this beautiful like uh light lens flare from the sun yeah, yeah. and it looks like it's you know it's a gorgeous montage yeah it looks like they could have they shot that you know they they set that up for 4 days to get that <laughs> shot you know but it probably was Everything, all just the music the the visual aesthetic it's absolutely beautiful and then this is like this is what marks act 3 yeah you know this is where we got the turning point for the character and it's that scene that does it um now what what scene is the scene where does the where does it lay in when they're on the beach and they get harassed by Dr. Giggles and uh the other guy? It's got to be before this. Okay. This is before. This is the introduction because he have it's between obviously it's between he shows that uh I've been teaching you karate the whole time, asshole. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then that scene because they go to the beach so he can learn balance. Oh yes, yeah, so we get the, the scene on the lake. Bouncing on the bow of the boat, and then Miyagi 
you know, tips the boat, yeah. makes it float into the water. Yeah, because there's there's an element here that I don't know if people, young people realize that, that after World War II, there was a huge animosity built up towards Japanese Americans, specifically because of how brutal World War II was, where you didn't get that as bad as what the Germans did uh, with the Holocaust and in the in Europe. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, American soil. Uh, people were a little more able to forgive Germans because uh, they were still treated to a certain extent with dignity if they were captured or the interaction from soldier to soldier if they went into a prison camp where in the Japanese theater in the Pacific, in the Pacific theater, uh, there was some really crazy shit going on and uh, a lot of people when they were captured, POWs were killed, they were, weren't treated well, the, 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 the death march uh, where people died. Uh, the Japanese were notorious specifically for not being treating prisoners or uh, others well. So after the war, you had such a buildup where there would be people who I used to know, like uh, older people, my grandparents' age, who would never buy a Japanese car. They would never, uh, mechanics would never service a Japanese car. You know, it was, they were so, yeah. and I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a cop out to say, well, they were racist, but it was because of how. You know, this segment of people that were, you know, so you then see that this is probably something also a sad plight in, in Morita's history or um, Miyagi's history is that he did fight for our country on the right side. You know, he fought, but he could be since then now dealing with all this kind of misplaced racism, yeah. you know, for his entire life leading after that. And then that is, uh, you know, uh, exampled here here with with these two yokels who call him a nip or whatever like that, you know, yeah, yeah. that the, the sad state of affairs at the time that he has to deal with this kind of a thing. Yeah, but we're also coming off of Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the American... Korea, you know. The, and, uh, unfortunately, there's a large section of America that's a little bit ignorant. Yeah. That kind of lumps. Yeah, all of I Asia. Mean, I mean, even lumps Asians all together. You know, I mean, another one. thing, Americas don't even know that outside of the America, Asians also mean Indian, you know, uh, people from India. Yeah, so yeah. when people say Asia, India is in Asia. So, like, there was a terrorist attack uh, in London maybe six months to a year ago, and they said it was done by an Asian. American news audiences immediately picked up. Uh, Asian, that means was he yeah, Chinese, yeah. Korean? And, and no, he was either Middle Eastern yeah. or Indian. And that's a specification. So, yeah, I mean, there is ignorance for people who don't, you know, can't tell who Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Philippine, and then, yeah, they're lumped together. Yeah. You know? Uh, So, I'm just saying. Yeah. There was probably other, you know, just Asian. Like like we've been saying, quote, unquote, Oriental, which isn't a proper term. That's why we've been putting it in quotes. Yeah, that you can't see. We keep doing air quotes. We keep on doing air quotes, but that's why I keep on trying to say, quote. Yeah. Uh, because that's what they were referred. That's what those that the people from that section of the world were, were from the Orient, were, where they were. We thought of them as from the Orient, they were yeah. Oriental, which is not the case. They're not all from yeah. the Orient. <laughs> and they had a huge. You know, we we always hear about the African American experience in in the country of of slavery and stuff, but the specifically Chinese were were yeah they dealt, built this country. they built the railroads and they were treated horribly. You know, I mean, terribly so. And then after, as soon as we didn't need them anymore. Uh, after the, the railroads were built, they were. That's why they had the the uh, Chinese Exclusionary Act. They didn't want people immigrating here anymore because they were just. They thought they were just uh, kind of, um, you know, just uh, bringing with them drugs and all that kind of a thing. So yeah, so that that stigma is was very much alive. Eighty five years later, nineteen eighty five here. So uh, we get to the uh, moving forward. 
we get the training right scene. We do at some point have the um, we have the birthday scene, which is also very touching. <laughs> Except when he finds out his money's with his mom, <laughs> then, he, then he just blows his mom off. It's nice that they celebrate together, and then Miyagi's like, "Miyagi, you have mother too." One yeah, time, you know. Uh, and he gives him, and he gives him his choice of cars. I wouldn't have picked that. I like that little car on the on the far end, the, the, the little, little blue, yeah, little yeah, powder yeah. blue, yeah. Little, little number on the end. But I watching it this time, I noticed that when they first get there, before he has him wash the car, he's looking in that car. Mi- he's looking in that car, and Miyagi sees that he's looking in that car. Yeah, and you wonder if it's like Miyagi's like, if this goes the way I think it's gonna go, I'm gonna give him that. Car. Well, that's maybe the reason why the, the maybe the key, all the keys were in the car, but not only were the keys in that car, he had yeah, Miyagi's yeah. dog tags yeah. on there. You know, a little more extra. Yeah, I wouldn't but, have picked but, that but car either. Saw though. The dog tags in the room, so it just means Miyagi put the dog tags on. Yeah, that after key. the after what had happened. Uh, so yeah. they have a birthday scene. He gives him a car, and such a simple exchange of dialogue says everything you need to know about this movie, which is beautifully executed, simple in simplicity. My, uh, Daniel looks at Miyagi and says, "You're the best friend I ever had." And Miyagi says, "You're pretty okay too." <laughs> <laughs> But it's so beautiful, hard, tear-jerking for me, that yeah. scene. The, the the relationship between Daniel and Miyagi is what drives this movie. It's what makes this movie great. Everything else is hearsay. You know, it's everything else is whatever. It's just... There's a lot of beautiful elements in this movie, but it's that relationship that, that, that makes this movie stand the test of time. And... It just it's it's kind of just like putting the last nail in that little coffin of like this training montage. The relationship they've they've surpassed, you know, the early friendship. They've surpassed sensei, you know, student. They're friends. They're best friends. This is Miyagi has been better to him than anybody. He doesn't have a father figure. Miyagi's been that. Miyagi's been his mentor. Miyagi's been his friend. He's been his father. He's 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 done everything. And we find because of that scene that like, you know what? Like Miyagi, in a way, Daniel is the son that Miyagi didn't have uh, because of the complications of birth. So it's mutually beneficial. Like they're both invested in this relationship. And it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful scene. Uh, it's interesting that Miyagi didn't, or Maria didn't even know a lick of martial art until this, you know, he learned it all for the role as well. You yeah. know, and it comes off so effortlessly. The guy at the end of the movie who plays the um, ref, Pat E. Johnson, who was a student of Chuck Norris, uh, he is the uh, choreographer of the, of the, of the martial arts in the film. And, uh, you know, he he's the, he did a great job. He probably deserves more credit than he gets because one, nobody knows it. Yeah. Nobody knows he did it. But he trained them in a way. It's like Miyagi, uh, Pat Morita, and and Machio. They trained together, and he kind of went light on them. It was a little more friendly. It was so the, it built the relationship between those two people in the so way that, it needed to be built. So that in the characters, you know, they could complain together. They. It it helped solidify the chemistry and and what happened with with their characters. The uh, Cove he trained by himself. He didn't want any of the Cobra Kai kids to train with him. He didn't want to see. He didn't want any of the 
kids playing the Cobra Kai kids to see Cove as like an amateur, as yeah. like a white belt. You know, he wanted once they once they start working with Cove, Cove was an authority on the subject so that they could play off of that. And then all of the kids that play the Cobra Kai kids, he trained them all together, trained them very hard, very much the way. Crease would have trained them, yeah. you know, very military esque almost. It's a lot a, of push ups. Yeah, and, it's a lot you see like in these movies where we talked about last week, The Predator, and you know these or Saving Private Ryan, where you yeah. get these actors together and go through basic training to have them purposely build this kind of come come yeah conglomerate. What's the word I'm saying? Camaraderie. Yeah, you know, so they have this kind of team, you know, so that they are by the time the movie starts filming, they it seems like they've been in this dojo for a yeah, long time yeah. together. But to have the awareness to train them all separately in the style of training that would best help them play the characters there. It was very forward thinking on his part and he yeah. probably deserves more credit than he gets for, for helping form those relationships that create the chemistry that we see in the, um, in the movie. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time. He goes to see, he <laughs> blows off his mom, <laughs> goes to find, uh, Allie, Ellie kind of gives him the cold shoulder. Uh, just a couple of funny things in this scene. After we, he finds out that Johnny and her are not together because her friend is like, "You're an asshole." You know, she fucking clocked him. <laughs> you know, uh, and so he comes up to find her, and she's standing at the out front of the water slide. Uh, I don't know. Next time you watch it, notice that uh, must be very uncomfortable for Elizabeth Shue because she has like a really uncomfortable looking wedgie in that scene yeah <laughs> like those jeans are but it could be way. just it could just be the time <laughs> the, 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 them style, up. the style and it's funny too because he kind of wins her over by i would think he she kind of like you know she must be again oh head over heels for him because he's like come on i'm sorry i, I didn't mean to hit you you know what I mean? she's like oh you're right you know and like, then the kiss is so uncomfortable yeah because all that i think is like one take two yeah so it's like they, they only shot like once and so that kiss is like she, you know, he's like tickling the like her tonsils with his tongue. <laughs> he really goes in. Yeah, like I do. Full it's the open old, mouth. We, we may not get a safety, so I'm gonna go right for it. You know, <laughs> so not sensual, but in a way, like the uncomfortableness of it, it's almost realistic. Yeah, you know, as a kid, you don't. It's like a young, as like a teenager, you don't really know how to kiss. In the uh, if you think like this, shoving people's tongue down your throat. That's the way to do it. That's how you do it. Um, when uh, Mr. Miyagi gives him his gi, it's funny that the the gi I'm assuming is new, but the patch on it is 50 years old. Mr. Mrs. Miyagi designed, he said, the patch. Yeah, so she, luckily she it survived it, yeah. the test. It survived 50 years in a trunk somewhere. But in real life, it says Pat Morita actually designed that bonsai tree logo that was sold on the gi, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the sense that in the context of the movie, it's probably like like a Miyagi symbol. It's like a logo for his yeah, defunct, we know like a, company. What's the, the Rising know, Sun? No, like the like in England and stuff. They have like the seal, the family seal. Oh, okay, yeah, the crest. Uh, yeah, I get yeah, this. Yeah. I get the sense that that's like a Miyagi crest type thing. But oh, the, okay. But, the, but his wife sewed it onto yeah. the patch for him. Like, and need, it, like and it's very. Boy. It's you know even though you know it's very the bonsai tree all that yeah, plays yeah. all into that. And it's also another touch scene where Daniel says, you know, if you ever want this back, I'd understand. Yeah. And he says, I know you would. Or yeah. Something to that extent. Uh, just a little little looking into the relationship. Uh, the tournament, again, when we enter the tournament, sweeping long crane shot, yeah. all one take. Took 35 takes to get that one right, to get in there. Now, the tournament seems a bit rushed for me, too. Like, it's just, 
you know, they, we get in there, shit's going, it's very quick. Yeah. They, you know, they, they, they break his fucking knee really quickly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm surprised little... that the, 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 the ref, uh, Johnson, even lets him fight, you know. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's clearly, you know, a lot of times a, a fighter will get up and say. Most of the 80s. Yeah, exactly. So the fighter will be like, I'm, I'm good to go. And they're like, no, you can't. <laughs> but now they're like, sure. So he's limping on, yeah, you know. Yeah. So well, we get a little montage. We got, you're the best. Oh, yeah. Man. Which we got, yeah, people don't realize the music for that was written by Conti. Yeah. And that song was actually written for Rocky Three. And Stallone actually. And Stallone put the Knicks on it and they used Eye of the Tiger by Survivor instead. Yeah. So that guy kind of pushed. Then they thought about maybe trying to sell it to Flashdance and then that got replaced with Maniac. Appleton's like, yeah, that's good enough. Throw it in there. Yeah, that's like we had some other song that was written for uh, Cobra, and they didn't use it. I forget what else. It showed up in a movie we did on uh, The Sleepovers. Uh, so, but that, it works perfectly because I completely forgot about that song until now, and that's like another 80s staple. Yeah. Just as much as, um, you know, Eye of the Tiger or something else from the 80s. You're the, that. It's like, you know, something from Top Gun. It's very, you know. Yeah, now when, you know, Kreese tells Bobby... To put him out of commission. Yeah. Go for the leg. Sweep the leg. Sweep the, that's the that's the that's what he signs his autographs with. Sweep the leg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no mercy. Sweep the leg. Uh, we get a very quick explanation of the point system. Points to the hits to the head or body or point. I guess nothing else counts. The legs or whatever. Now, uh, so Bobby does it reluctantly. He just jumps up. He kicks him like right in the knee. Puts him out of commission. He apologizes. We get the scene in the. Locker room. Yep. Where Miyagi's like, you got nothing else to prove, kid. Yeah. Uh, and Machio says, no, that's not true. Yeah, maybe I don't need to prove anything to them. But Cut me, Mick. Cut I, me. I got to prove it to myself. Yeah. Which is like, that's another kind of little callback to Rocky. Rocky, he wants to go the distance. He doesn't care about winning the fight. He wants to, for this, Daniel wants to go the distance. He wants to see how far he can do. He's never going to have balance with Al. He's never going to have balance with himself. Yada, yada, yada. Well, he makes a good point with that. I'll, I'll, in their eye, I'll always be looked at like this. I have to and follow through. Miyagi understands. We get the clap. <laughs> hit with a hit by Conti. Sells that shit yeah, like nobody's key, business. Some good chi there. Uh, fix the leg. Dan Lewis is going to fight. Yeah. Dan Lewis is going to fight. <laughs> Dan Lewis is going to fight. <laughs> Uh, now, during the fight with Johnny, you know, Bobby gets disqualified for, like, intentionally yeah. going for the leg. Now, there's the scene where uh, Johnny catches the leg and then just, like, gives him an elbow right yeah, in the Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, like a point deduction. <laughs> yeah, he's almost <laughs> like, broke the kneecap. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder, like, why did Bobby get disqualified? But Johnny doesn't get disqualified. He gets a point reduction for yeah, that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's he, clearly like he's trying to hurt him, like, you know. And you, it's it's cool that you're the clearly Johnny and, and Bobby are kind of, you know, they, they verbally question Crease, uh, yeah, but they also, I think Johnny almost realizes that, like, wait, this is, I'm not going to win fairly if you have me just sweep the leg. Yeah, he's but, you're going to have me cheat. Yeah, but Crease uh, don't care if, if yeah, yeah. individually he wants, the, he wants the dojo to win no matter what, so the dojo wins. Yeah, well, that's Johnny's big revelation. And Zapka sells it. With his face. Well, that's true so because well. at the end of this movie, it's it's quite a turnaround. It's almost unbelievable. You're all right. Yeah, okay, yeah, kid. And he gives him the tell you, yeah, get out of here. He takes the turn, you know, hits him in the head with the top, the bottom Daniel, of the... Yeah, all right, kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, that's a great scene. Uh, and you, you don't ever get a reaction from... We, we should probably talk about that. You don't ever get a reaction from uh, uh, Martin Cove. 
after yeah. it happens. You can't. There's everything's in long shot. You don't even see him. And you have this last shot at the end where he's on every, he's on the shoulders, and they cut to this insert of Mr. Miyagi smiling. Yeah, I did it, yeah. Mr. Miyagi, and then it kind of beautiful yeah, music, you know, swell, yeah, uh, very eighties. Apparently, you know. in most cases, in a in a, such a tournament. Something like the crane kick would actually get Daniel disqualified, apparently, uh, because it's again, it's something about I don't know, something to do with the rules. And, and you think he like did the kicking full force? Johnny would see that coming a mile away because he's in the crane position. Well, I said, yeah, but uh, you've probably never block. seen it before. Yeah, you know. So and Cove's like, fuck. But, uh, but Zavka sells know? it. Zavka sells getting kicked in the face really well. It's what makes it believable is the way Zavka sells it. So we have the um, what. People in the novelization, there's a different ending. Yeah. What ends up now coming out in the beginning of Karate it's Kid the 2, the movie. Of Karate Kid 2. Which yeah. I find like almost a letdown. I would have wanted to see. To me, there's no payoff with the Spanish kid, his friend in the pool, or his friend at the apartments at the beginning. And there's no payoff of Cove. They should have just threw a reaction of Cove like miffed and walking away, or angry, or even an eye contact between him and Marita. But. I wonder if it's because they they didn't th- thought they didn't need it because they were going to have this scene. Yeah, well, they didn't even know. shoot it. Yeah. So and then it, and I think I I get your point of like it would have been good not at the very end but at some point during that to have a reaction of Cove. Yeah. Like when Johnny hands him the yeah right. Uh, yeah. To have like even just it blocked in a way that Cove's standing in the background. You yeah. see like Cove put his hand down his head down and like turn around. Like, yeah, puts something. his arms up and walks away. You're yeah. dead to me. You know. <laughs> But then they have what ends up being in the the opening scene, maybe of Karate Kid Two, is yeah, the, the confrontation like ends, because the, just like the Rocky movies, it ends with like a little recap of the fight. Yeah, to get you in the mood, you know, got the music, you got the thing, you got the. I mean, in a way, it's right that I think it's perfect that it ends with just like Rocky ends in the ring with Mickey and I mean with uh, Adrian and Rocky, the end of Rocky in that freeze frame. In a way, I think it's like perfect. It's like the moment again, just like in the same instance. It's it's the height of Daniel's yeah. life at that point. He's won. He's won the respect of the Cobra Kai. He's got his girl. He's got Miyagi, and yeah. Miyagi standing off the distance, keeping his, the girls and leave him in like <laughs> three months. You know? But it ends on Miyagi. Yeah, Miyagi's accomplished. You know, so I don't remember in in the second one. It's that he's bullying, he's, he's like yelling at the kids. Or, he's, did he hit him or something? He's or? hitting Johnny around, yeah. And that's when Mr. Miyagi comes and intervenes, and we have the scene where he puts his window. Yeah. I remember all that. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, so basically Miyagi intervenes. Yeah, and luckily Martin Cove's uh, arms have healed from that, so you didn't <laughs> see any of that scarring there. He's pushing around Johnny, and you know, for not listening. Uh, and then Miyagi intervenes. In the book, they make a big thing because. Miyagi gets the one down on the ground and he's get, get winding up with a chop. Yeah. And he's like, no mercy, villain. You know, your enemy deserves no mercy. He's, he's given yeah. Kreese his own medicine. Exactly. And in the book, they make a big point of, because it's from Daniel's point of view, of like, you know, like... Miyagi turned it on. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, but not like happy. Like, he's Kreese. Like, what the fuck's going on? Like, this is not Miyagi. Yeah. Like, is Miyagi turning to the dark side? Yeah. That's what that scene's all about in the in the novelization. And then when it's like, it's over. He just like, like in, the, in the book he like flicks his nose. Where in the, which is like as it more of an insult. And then he looks at like Daniel gives him a wink. Like I wasn't going to. Go <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going back to the dark side. In the, in, in the beginning, Craig did too. He gives him a little honk of the nose. Yeah. And in the movie, he does little what three stooges or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. like that. You know, thing. Yeah, who knows? Like the evil's coming back. <laughs> 
you know, there. So yeah, and then it ends, and it's 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 an abrupt ending. It's all on a happy note, like you said. Everybody's happy. Uh, hopefully, mom's gonna get well, a better it's, job. It, it's kind of it's crescendoed, yeah. and then we don't get like a coda. You know, it's yeah. like you leave at the height of it. Yeah, with the music wailing. The coda it. actually is the beginning of the second one. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so then that's it. And then then it, everyone lived happily ever after. Little did we know that we have yeah, a second all, one. Folks. You know? It's almost like the um uh what's the other one? Uh Predator 2 where it's like, you know, we should do the second one really quick, you know. Uh do cry to kid because they're they're almost interlaced, but yeah. so but yeah, so this is a great this was a good movie and it was all The f- Cars of 48 Ford Super Deluxe Club. Yep. Convertible, in uh, or coupe, coupe. Yeah, maybe that's a. Sp- and then yeah, and then the director Avidson gave it to Machio. Machio still has it. I think he. I don't think Avidson gave it to him. I think Machio actually bought it from the prop department. Because if you listen to the commentary, Avidson's like, "Really, you have it?" <laughs> you know, yeah, like he didn't realize. Nobody knew what happened to the car. Uh. Yeah, I think that's it. That's yeah. all I got. Lovely, lovely movie. It, you know, brought back a lot of memories. We should note that we didn't do this in response to the recent August 4th. Oh, yeah. A YouTube Red. This just dropped last week. I don't know how... how uh, Which is they're going to do a... For YouTube Red, you know, all these streaming services are trying to now compete with regular television. They're doing a comedy series involving Johnny and Daniel. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if we can't do links to all of them, but you can look up. Basically, it's in like 15 parts or something. They have the entire Karate Kid movie done from Avilton's camcorder, like home movies of all the rehearsals. Oh, wow. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like 15, 10 minute parts or something. The entire movie laid out on YouTube that you can watch all the rehearsals of the fights. And well, we'll the put scenes. a link into the first one and then the we first can go one from there. And then you can find this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, it 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 certainly set a set a precedent in the '80s, and it was certainly a you know a monumental film. And this is us closing the door on summer of 2017. You know, getting us ready yes, for that fall back to school. You know, jumping into fall, we're going to be celebrating our anniversary, our third, our third anniversary. Yeah, in a couple doing of weeks, the, doing the show. So we hope you're going into our fourth year. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we got the Halloween horror movie extravaganza right yeah. around the corner and then uh thanksgiving coming up and then we have christmas extravaganza <laughs> and then we got the holiday season yeah so it'll be fun so we hope you're you know you're liking everything and uh you know checking everything out uh blake you have a the new podcast 21 pod street uh on twitter at 21 p-o-d-s-t do that with uh mighty mike vanderbilt yeah that we did from uh, daily grindhouse friend of ours a friend of the show's so uh so check that out yeah we hope you like what we've been doing uh you're liking our old stuff our new stuff uh you know check us out on facebook check us out on twitter uh check us out at our regular website where we have all these uh, extras here with each posting if you can rate and review the show on itunes because that will more better more ratings better ratings we get the more visible it comes to it becomes to potential listeners yes people who don't see the show so who don't listen will maybe see it pop up as like if you like yeah. this you might like that yeah if- as seen on TV you like this you like that so yeah so check us out that way and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another ex- mind blowing extravaganza is that the anniversary show or is there, uh, or is there one in between I think there's one in between there might be one in between so uh, 
but yeah. Anyway, we'll figure that All out. All right. Yeah. So until the next time, uh, we hope you, you, you've enjoyed us. Uh, and uh, yeah. Later. Later.